Superman Forever Radio, Episode 96, a roundtable discussion of the new 52 Superman. than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, people believe tall buildings of a single bound, the incident of ship town is now the man of steel, Superman! Hello and welcome to the Superman Forever radio podcast. My name is Bob Fisher. Happy New Year. Well, it's the first show of 2016 and it's still January, even though it's the middle of January. And I don't think that's too late to say Happy New Year. I hope your New Year has started off really nicely. Mine hadn't been too bad, actually. It's been pretty good. Uh, I do want to keep this opening part relatively short today. Because this is a long show. It's a special show uh, to kind of kick off the new year. So I want to try to keep our uh, opening comments brief. As brief as possible anyway for me. If you're new to the Superman Forever radio podcast, and I know some of you are because we've got a lot of people who have just recently been signing up to the podcast. Facebook page, Superman podcast page on Facebook. Uh, So welcome. Welcome aboard. Glad you're here. Uh, But today's show is different than a normal uh, Superman Forever radio show would be. And uh, if you're new, I encourage you to check out episode number 79 of this podcast. 79, episode 79. Uh, It gives my origin story. As far as Superman is concerned in both comics, TV, media, etc. And how I came to host this very podcast. So I encourage you again, check out episode 79 if you're new. If you would like to join in the conversation, send me some email. Bob at supermanforever.com. Love to hear from you. So... Uh, I want to keep it short because there is a long conversation happening uh, in the main body of the show today, and I'll get to that in a few minutes. But as far as current events goes, Supergirl is still kind of dominating the Superman world right now. Uh, I think the show is just just terrific, and as I record this, I think tonight's episode, we get to see the Martian Manhunter give Kara, Supergirl, some flighting lessons. So... <laughs> oh, they're just really fun. I'm loving this show, having a good time with this show. Uh, and a lot's happened since we were together last, but still enjoying it. But we'll save all of that for future episodes. I've got more to say about the Supergirl stuff, but we'll save that for future episodes. Again, this is a different little format today. And no time on the new comics, except at the time of this recording, again, American Alien has been released, Superman American Alien. Number three of Lois and Clark is out. And I'm going to talk about those in future episodes, maybe as they both come closer to their end dates. And several new projects have been announced. Neil Adams is going to be doing a Superman mini-series. So a lot of stuff is happening in the Superman world, and for future shows, we will be talking about them 
all. So now, before we get into the main body and the conversation today of today's episode, I want to promote something that started, and I thought it'd be just as good to promote it here as anywhere else because, you know, it's a Superman show and it's my show. Uh, but one of my guests today, John Wilson, uh, you may know him from Golden Age Superman podcast or Avengers Inspiration, which he does with his daughter, or many other places on the internet. But coming January 31st to a podcatcher near you, the Giant Superman Podcast with John Wilson and Bob Fisher. Yes, I know we're doing another Superman podcast. Now, this is going to be a monthly thing where John and I take a look at um, (laughs) the great Silver Age Superman annuals. Uh, the 25-cent, 80-page giant annuals, those giants. So we'll be taking a look at those, and the first episode drops January 31st. And uh, (laughs) having a lot of fun with those from the two different perspectives, from uh, obviously my point of view, getting those things new when they came off the racks, uh, and John reading them basically all within the last couple of years. So just it's we're having a blast, having a blast and talking too much. But uh, look forward to that called the Giant Superman podcast and uh, with John M. Wilson and I, Bob Fisher coming soon. Look forward. That's going to be fun. Now, why am I doing a truncated show? Why am I not? talking and ad-libbing and talking my usual stuff here today. Well, because something happened on the internet a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, uh, while we were online, uh, on Facebook usually, and having conversations and looking through threads and just talking to people and, you know, doing Facebook stuff, I noticed that a couple of us who have Superman podcasts or blogs or are Superman-related or, or at least speak out about Superman topics regularly, publicly. Uh, and particularly Michael Bailey and I both got asked pretty much the same time on the same day, the same question, uh, what we thought overall of the new 52 Superman, since we haven't really done, um, you know, full-blown shows or episodes or you know we talked about a story here or there but not overall our opinions of the new 52 uh how superman has uh well just our thoughts and feelings about superman during uh since 2011 and the reboot so i thought i would play out of sequence for you because this is kind of weird, because uh, Michael Bailey and I got together last summer to talk about The Man of Steel, which I'm going to release where we do a uh, rather long two-part miniseries. So uh, that technically is Michael Bailey's first time on Superman Forever, but it will air after his second time. So we might refer to something during this episode that happened during that episode, but they came, you know, timey-wimey timey-wimey but after we had this conversation so anyway on facebook when some people were telling us you know are asking us this question uh i sent mike and a couple of other friends of mine online uh said hey 
it looks like we're both getting, well, let's get together here in the next couple of days and talk about this. What do you say? Well, it happened. It came together pretty quickly, actually. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Dave Weeder had to pull out. He wasn't uh, available at the last minute. He couldn't make the meeting. But John Wilson, Michael Bailey, and I got together for the first, what I'm calling the first Superman Forever roundtable discussion where uh, a couple of Superman people get together, three or four of us get together, and just talk a topic out. And this time, it's about the New 52 Superman. So it's different than uh, my usual shows, and it's not really an interview show. It's more of a discussion. It really is kind of, you know, three guys who uh, follow current comics uh, talking about it, and we happen to record the conversation. And it is quite long, and uh, because I decided not to cut out most of it, this is pretty much the conversation as it happened. And we're going to join it, you know, in in conversation, not really a big opening or anything. So uh, let's go ahead and listen to some of that conversation between John Wilson, Michael Bailey, and myself talking about the new Fifty Two Superman. some people joining me tonight and I'll get to them in just a couple of seconds but I thought I'd like to let you know what's going on and why this little special show Uh, I have not been particularly uh, what's the good word enthralled pleased happy enthusiastic enjoying the current run of Superman comics so I've been kind of snarky a little bit about it and uh, lately on Facebook a few conversations have cropped up And one of my guests was getting similar questions to the ones I was getting. And I thought, well, maybe this would be a good idea or a good chance for a couple of us to get together and kind of try to put into some perspective, some sort of perspective, our thoughts about the new 52 Superman. So to help me talk about this are people I'm sure you're very familiar with. From Views from the Long Box, my good friend, Michael Bailey. Michael, welcome to Superman Forever. I appreciate it. Uh, pleasure to be back at this point, or have I been yeah, on the- Yeah, that is tricky, isn't it? <laughs> Michael, this is this is technically your second uh, uh, visit, but as far as the people know, it's your first visit. Uh, yes. Yes, so to clear that up, we have recorded another show together that has not aired yet which will be airing soon. So there you have it. So, uh, Michael, thank you for joining me to talk New 52. Oh, uh, I also I also thought maybe we should balance this out a little bit because I have really uh, been down on, on the New 52 Superman after the Grant Morrison run. Uh, I think they started to drop the ball, and we'll get into that a little bit. But I also thought maybe we should have somebody to balance out some of my... Uh, dislike for someone who probably enjoys it a little more than I do. 
So one of the most positive Superman people I can think of, I invited to join join us, and it's his second time uh, back on Superman Forever since I have been the host. Mr. John M. Wilson. John, thanks for joining us. Happy, happy to be here. I, I, I don't think of myself as a positive guy, but <laughs> I know that... I, I like liking comics, and so I read comics that I like, and if, if I don't like them, it makes me sad, and I'll read something else. So, so yeah, usually whenever I read a comic, it's because it's I want to like it, and I end up liking it. So, uh, yeah, I, I can be the positive balance, sure, unless, well, unless I end up leaving everything in darkness instead, because I'm not really the chosen one. It's actually my son. <laughs> well, you're you're one of the most positive people I know, and you're still my speed reading hero. Uh, I love that you're still almost reading a dozen DC comics. It seems like every day, the amount of reading just that you've done over the New Fifty Two era over the last two days, John, has been pretty <laughs> has just been pretty impressive. Just to get uh, to where we're going to talk about tonight, and basically that's the idea, people. That's we really just kind of wanted to get some guys that I know and like together who have podcasted about this and blogged about it and talked about it. Michael, you write, uh, still write the reviews for Action Comics for the Superman homepage, which, um, you know, I've got to give you all kinds of kudos because I think right from the beginning uh, of particularly those most recent, and I don't want to jump too far. We're going to go back and start from the kind of the beginning of the new 52 a little bit, but um, you've been having to write a review about something that pretty much right off the bat, the basic premise struck you wrong. Yeah. So, so even when Greg pack has been writing some good stories or writing some, where the, eh, I don't want to say the good stories, but where the writing has been good, it's still not something that 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 uh, that has been quite really enjoyable or so. I'm not. I'm struggling for words here, people, because I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Uh, and, you enjoy the script, but not the story. Yes, yes, and and I think uh, that's. Uh, it's basically like somebody making a plate of liver and onions. They can make the best plate of liver and onions that has ever been out there. And people who love liver and onions will eat it mm-hmm. and be like, this is the greatest example of this ever. The artistry involved in making it is flawless. And yet, I don't like liver and onions. Right. So you're, nothing you do to that dish is going to make me like it. Exactly. And with Superman... Recently, and when I say recently, folks, I'm talking. I guess we should start at the beginning. The four year, the five years we've been in now. It was September of 2011, mm-hmm. where they released the beginning of the new 52. And I want to tell you now because people, the internet broke in half. half. Yes, it did. John, stop doing your trailer. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> Which is the why you do a bunch of Superman is a monthly podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I wanted John here because of that wonderful the New Fifty Two Adventures of Superman. I also, by the way, for the record, uh, invited uh, the awesome. J. David Weeder to join us, but uh, he had uh, work and other plans tonight, so he could not be here to 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 be part of this. But you guys did a terrific job over there, 
doing a month by month uh, coverage of these comics as they came out. And I was loving that. And this is something I do want to kind of clarify because if people have just listened to my show over, say, the last four or five of my episodes, they probably you know, we're getting the impression that I just hated the new 52 or that I'm just, you know, stuck in 1963 or something, which is not the case. So I'm going to do a little defending of my own self here right off the bat. I was enthusiastic about the new 52 when it started, uh, because Superman was going nowhere. The grounded plots, the storylines, everything I thought, fine, let's see what they can do. They're going to retell the origin. They're going to do some new stuff. I had liked some of the Grant Morrison stuff I had read in the past. And then when Action won, they had, the only thing that really upset me was the renumbering. I still don't think they should have renumbered Action Comics, but that's me. But I looked forward. That's not just you, sir. <laughs> okay, good. Because it, I was waiting for you to say that. <laughs> <laughs> good. Because uh, I think that was a, a huge mistake. Huge mistake. But that's, again, another story. But they did that. They decided to renumber everything. And we are approaching the 50th issues of those. Uh, I think 40, Action 48 just hit, I think, as we record this. Um, So we're getting very close to 50. And I had kind of hoped to do that anyway, for 50 issues five years later. Let's see how it's going. So it's wonderful to do this. So back to the story. Action Comics comes out. Grant Morrison is hired to rewrite the origin of Superman for this new generation. And uh, I thought it was very special. I think every issue just felt very special. Grant Morrison, whether you love him or hate him, whether you think he's too weird or too this or too that, he knows Superman. He has a great feel for the depth of of the characters in many of the eras and decades of this character. I think Grant Morrison has a really good feel for him. And in spite of, I think the, the rushed, let's just have Mixie, uh, in this thing, Mixie's Pitalik in this thing. I loved that first run in action comics because it brought back so much of, of, uh, um, some kind of original. I'm walking a little lightly on this too. I don't want to tread on the John Byrne stuff too harsh, but it brought back some of the things that I loved about the original Superman, a Krypton that we were sorry to see uh, blow up um, uh, him being born of real parents, you know, all of these things that both man of steel movie did to some degree and Grant Morrison's action comics run it gave us what I thought was a great foundation for this new generation of, uh, of Superman. In spite of the problems that the Superman comic itself was having, started out with George Perez, which basically looked like the traditional iconic Superman in just a different costume. Uh, he didn't look all that much younger. He didn't look like Superboy, uh, you know. But then it seemed like after issue four or five of Superman, all hell started to break loose over there and DC couldn't quite either keep creative people or creative didn't know what was going on. The five year difference between what was going on in action and Superman. And then now we find out that some of them were a little upset because they didn't know what Grant was going to do. They had not read the whole thing. So they didn't know where could they take 
the Lois Superman relationship, for example. They didn't know certain things. So right off the bat, there were some problems. Go ahead. Was that John breathing? Yeah. No, I was just going to say we're going to come back to the uh, George Perez-Lois Clark relationship because um, I have I have strong opinions about that, about what he wanted to do with that. That they are opinions because they're only supposition, but um, but... <laughs> I think what it, what it boils down to is that Perez was not able to tell the story he wanted to tell, and so he walked. Yes, I got that feeling, too, that it was just he wanted to do a little more traditional thing, and I think he wanted Lois and Clark to uh, have a whole different relationship, too. Um, but I think this was one of the problems, and, and Mike, join in any time here, but I think this was one of the early problems with the New 52 as we get into it from the beginning, is that they may have had some great ideas, things they really wanted to do with Superman for this new generation. They got it started, I think, with Grant Morrison, but then couldn't follow through pretty much anywhere else. He was... I, I, go ahead. I think you're, you're, you're on to something there because... You know, for me personally, I had walked away from from Superman for about nine months, and I came back, and I was just like, hey, okay, I've made my peace, gone through my five steps of geek grief, right. and uh, I'm just ready to, to read some new Superman. And like a month later, it was May, they announced we're getting rid of everything. And I'm like, really? Okay. Well, it's, it's good timing on my part. <laughs> uh, so basically when everyone was freaking out about the new 52, because you know, John's John's trailer to his show is a, has a little bit of snark to it, but there's a lot of truth in there as well. Yes. Uh, and by truth, I don't mean that we have stripped John of his real identity and now <laughs> he's just wearing a t-shirt and all that. <laughs> Unless that's, what I am totally I am wearing a T-shirt and jeans with a Superman symbol on my shirt. That's exactly what I'm wearing. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. a red belt across my abdomen. All and a whole right. bunch of uh, uh, weird lines and angles. So, but <laughs> when they announced they were going to do this, I was I was really of the opinion, okay, show me what you got. Right. You know, kind of like you were. It's just like, you know, you had been through your, the sky is falling with Man of Steel. Yes. Uh, and you'd come out on the other side. Yes. You know, I had come out on the other side of my thing. And John, I think, was in a position where he was ready for his Superman to come along. Because uh, while I think you have a – you can correct me if I'm wrong here, John, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. But I think while you identify with the post-crisis era, because you, you and I are about three years apart, it really wasn't a Superman that you could get in on the ground floor of. Exactly. So, you know, it was it was John's turn, which is why even to this day, while I will complain about things I don't like about the new 52, which which is kind of over now anyways. Right. We're in we're in a new era. Uh, But what I didn't like about the new 52, I always try to make it very clear that if people were enjoying this, that's fine. These are the reason these are the problems I'm having. And John and I have had countless conversations over the past like four and a half years Mm -hmm. where one minute I'm fine. And the other minute I'm like, what the F are they doing? I mean, seriously. (laughs) Yes. And, and I think that's because unlike when John Byrne came in, and, I, and I'm not I'm, I'm using this as a basis of comparison, not to say that one is inherently better than the other. But when John, yes, Byrne, you are, Mike, you know how you are. <laughs> but when John Byrne came in, he had a plan. 
And that plan got shifted a little bit. But by the time we got six months after, you know, Man of Steel was six months long or three months long. Excuse me. It was a biweekly book. And three months later, they hit the ground running with three Superman titles. Those titles were unified. Uh, Adventures had a different flavor to it. Mm -hmm. But things that happened right from the first month, a random phone call in Adventures of Superman number 424 ended up being the plot instigator of Action Comics number 584. Right. So right from the jump, as Kevin Smith is fond of saying, <laughs> uh, you have you have this organization. You, you have these people that are all on the same page, even if they disagree slightly. Editorial is on the same page, whereas with the New Fifty Two, by the very nature of the books being separated by five years, and one of them is telling the origin while the other is telling contemporary stories, you have basically kind of kneecapped yourself almost because we're nerds. We read these books. And while I think how much continuity we want is different from person to person, I think it's pretty fair to say what we want is consistency. And we weren't getting that. Uh, you know, go ahead, John. I was going to say we, we could have done Though I mean, I, I and I don't want to put anything on any one person because there are certain poster children that are easy to to shoot darts at. But you know, when it comes down to it, every comic you've read is, is a collaboration of twenty or thirty people. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could have had that level of interactivity between the books if the people who are writing the contemporary stories knew at least the full outline of what the next 18 month origin was going to look like, or hell, the, the, the origin of it was just the first 12 issues. The rest yeah. of it was, was modern day. But uh, if they knew what that was going to look like, and if, if there had been a few more ducks in the row, as far as what the rules were, because you say you want to revamp everything. You say you want to reboot everything. You want to make everything new and contemporary and fresh. Okay. George Perez is ready to do a new and fresh take on Superman where Lois knows that Superman is Clark Kent. And as soon as he goes to make that an integral part of his story, editorial slams down on him and, and, and edits his scripts and edits his comics. And now they're able to say, um, well, she didn't explicitly say it on the page. Mm-hmm. So we're going to ignore the fact that the story of Perez wrote only works if Lois knows that Clark is Superman. And, and they got and they they tapped creators at the very beginning of the whole endeavor uh, on Superman. Now, Action Comics is different because at least that had the same writer for eighteen months, you know, right. or nineteen months because of the zero issue. Um, so you had grant doing that but on superman you had george perez followed by keith giffen and dan jurgens okay <laughs> these are three creators that cut their teeth on comics in an era where you develop you you plan for the long term mm-hmm. you know dan jurgens and uh, i don't think i'm speaking out of turn because you know in, in, in listening to interviews and having interviewed him 
it seems like he's one of these creators that when he gets on a title, he wants to think, okay, I'm going to layer these stories. I've got this much, you know, planned out and blah, blah, blah. And DC just wasn't down with that at this point. They wanted, for whatever reason, the Superman, the main Superman title, it seemed like they just wanted it to be these like six issue, seven issue storylines. And then we just move on. And the thing that I kept pulling my hair out about is that the minute they got a rhythm going, it changed where either editorial shut it down or a creator left. And then after Grant Morrison leaves action comics, there's this huge promotion. It's like, we're going to get this new writer and he's going to come on and it's going to be the bet. Look at this artwork. Tony Daniels doing this artwork. Look at this. It's going to be great. And it's going to be awesome. And before his first issue came out, I'm off. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what in the heck is going on? And if it was just Superman, then I'd be like, okay, there's a problem with Superman. But it seemed to be a problem. It seems like Andy Diggle opened the floodgates, though, because Andy Diggle walked off action, and suddenly everyone's walked off everything. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So, and then we go through this period where thankfully we get a regular writer on Superman in the form of Scott Lobdell, who I'm not going to insult uh, because some of his X-Men stuff was quite good. And I think he's geared towards that universe. Um, I think he struggled. He came out swinging. Yeah. And he came out swinging and then his first big villain turns into a dud. Yeah. Uh, I think everyone was fairly and correct me again, fellas, correct me if I'm wrong. I think we were all looking forward to hell on earth because it was going to be a big story that all of the Superman titles were involved with. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yay, finally we've got this. And then that thing started out. Okay. But by the end of the story, I hated hell. I hated that character and I wanted him to go away and they kept teasing him coming back. But then Dell starts actually kind of playing with stuff in, in, in Superman. He has Clark quit the Daily Planet. Not a move that I like, but it seemed like he was trying to make a point. It's just like, okay, he's not going to be a reporter. He's going to be a blogger. He's going to be working with Cat Grant. And it all goes towards this big storyline uh, called Doomed. Uh, we had a new title with Superman Wonder Woman, which I think was for a while. What, what John? I'm sorry. I, I, <laughs> my, my false starts keep on coming through. Um, the, uh, the He was also doing a really long game thing with Brainiac and Lois Lane, mm-hmm. which that just slow simmered in the background of probably seven issues of Superman. And it was, it was amazing because you, you, it was the reader that was still there, but they weren't doing anything with it. And it felt very much, you know, I'm going to say a really big compliment. That felt very Claremontian of yes. Bell to do. And, but, but yeah, go ahead. Cause we were, we moved into doomed, which what were you gonna say next? I was really happy with how that turned out. I think all the titles were working. They had all the titles working together. Uh, they had a really good story that I thought at the heart of it was just trying to get to, to what, who is Superman as a hero. He's having this horrible thing happen to him. But through it all, he is still trying to be himself. And Batman, 
it's it's like somebody flipped a switch with Batman because Batman's kissing Superman's butt all through that story, mm. which just fascinated me because uh, you know we haven't seen that in so long. And Doomed ends, and I thought Doomed had a pretty satisfactory ending. Mm-hmm. And you started with uh, Greg Pak on Action Comics doing a fairly mm. good job. Uh, I, I was slow to like him, but eventually I started to really, you know, care for what he was doing. And then the, the choirs of angels in heaven started singing because Jeff Johns was going to come to Superman. He's coming back. And let me ask this of you two, and I don't mean to be monopolizing this, so I do apologize. So I'm going to shut up in a second. Mm. Um, it's not my show, and this is very rude. No, uh, that's the good thing about having you on. This is why I do that. The uh, When Johns was announced to coming on, did either of you think it was going to be short-term? No. No. They sold Dude, it. They sold he it was going to be the new writer of Superman. Yeah, that's how they sold it to us. I was looking forward, because I thought, even if it's short-term, it's going to be at least a year. That's at least where he's at least going to get 12, maybe two years out of it. I was thinking that DC realizes they're in trouble. They're bringing on their heavy gun. So they'll have uh, Snyder over there on Batman doing his thing. And they'll bring their second big guy, John's over to Superman to firm up their two big guys. That's what I thought that it was going to end in six months. No, no idea. And it was a huge thing because they were getting a classic Marvel sacred cow artist. Yep. John Romita jr. Hmm a legacy of Marvel, you know, and, and, you know, not only had a, you know, long run on Spider-Man in the eighties, he drew the X-Men and then he had a long run on Daredevil. And then he started drawing Spider-Man and he was part of the JMS run, Mm -hmm. uh, at the beginning of Spider-Man. And, you know, like this is the guy that believe, you know, that bleeds Marvel comics and he's coming over to DC and he's doing Superman. And I read the first issue and I'm like, like it. I read the second issue. I was like, okay, this is okay. I got to like the fourth part. I'm like, what is going on? Mm. And then betrayal, it gets to the end of the storyline. And John's is like, yeah, well I'm leaving after this issue. And I'm like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're leaving. You're leaving after introducing a new superpower and then your deuces and you're walking off to go to. Now, I understand that there's probably a lot of machinations behind the scenes that we're not aware of. Right. You know, Johns is not just a writer. He is the chief cre- chief creative officer of DC. And heavily involved in their other non-comic stuff. Especially the television stuff. Especially. Everything you like about The Flash and Supergirl, I As, think Johns has a lot to do with it. You bet. You bet. So this is by no means me insulting Jeff Johns, but I felt a little betrayed mm-hmm. by the fact that he was only on there for like seven or eight issues. Because it seemed like... I think also part of it had to do with the sales numbers. And this is not this is not sliding the man because the man is used to a certain income. But I don't think the sales numbers were giving him the income he was expecting on Superman. I think he was losing he was, he was losing income, and so he decided to walk away. And I think a lot of that was Ramita Jr.'s fault. Uh, with all of the hype, and not, you know, me not being a Marvel guy at all, I knew the name John Ramita, but not I did I I couldn't have picked his artwork out of anywhere else. But because of Comixology. And they gave away like 700 free Marvel comic books last summer. Uh, 
and I got all 700 that they gave away free. So I have this huge Marvel library. So I went to Comixology and I just did a search for John Romita Jr. and did some binge. I just started looking at everything he had ever done that was given to me free on Comixology. It was a few dozen comic books that I went through. And I thought, well, if this is the guy that's coming, particularly I saw a, a Captain America comic that he had drawn. And I thought, well, if this is the guy that's coming over, uh, this is going to be fun. This is this is going to be fun. Looking back, it probably was as much coloring, uh, digital coloring, that was as impressive on the some of his work for Marvel than his line work or whatever. He went through a really bizarre change right mm-hmm. after Siege, uh, which was a big Marvel uh, storyline. And in my opinion, Siege is like the end of the cycle that began with Avengers Disassembled. Because mm-hmm. you had Avengers Disassembled, which led into New Avengers, which led into Civil War, which led into... Um, Secret Invasion. Secret Invasion, but there was like a whole like uh, marching orders. What was that called? Uh, the initiative. Uh-huh. The initiative, leading into Secret Invasion, leading into Dark Reign, leading into Siege, and at the end of Siege, everything is kind of back to where it was before Civil War. Uh, you know, characters were still not getting along. But the Avengers were the Avengers again, essentially. And he started drawing like one of the main Avengers titles and his art, something happened. I don't know if he was going too fast. I don't know if he was experimenting with a minimalist style. But the beautiful artwork that I got at the beginning of his run with JMS on Spider-Man, where Spider-Man looked amazing. No pun intended there. I apologize. That was a terrible <laughs> the, 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 the art was fantastic because I don't think there's been a fantastic Spider-Man title at this point. You know, and, and just, just how iconic he made that character look, I was expecting that with Superman. And from the preview art, there was just something really off about it. Yes. Yeah, and it was usually in the face. And I don't know what it was about the face. So was you, yeah, I, had, I had the exact same reactions whenever he started, uh, what was it, New Ways to Die? Yes. Whenever he went on to Spider-Man again, and, and, and exact same thing. Heralded, lauded, applauded, and he puts out issues. And for me, it's my first John Romita Jr. Because I came on five seconds after Brand New Day started. That's not started reading Spider-Man, modern Spider-Man. Hmm. So whenever he does New Ways to Die, I picked it up, and I'm like, this is a little bit shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is a little bit crap. Yeah, and bit and I, I just, I felt like I was supposed to like it. And it's, it's not a style that I really enjoy. And to be fair, the men of tomorrow as a story, John's did the thing with Superman that drives me nuts is he, on one hand, it was great to see the daily planet gang getting back together and Jimmy and Lois doing stuff and Clark being Clark Kent at the daily planet, which, mm-hmm. you know, we haven't seen a whole lot of Clark Kent in the comics at all for five years, for five years. Uh, there are peri- like Lobdell did more than I think most people did, uh, which is where I'm going to kind of hand it off to Lobdell. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the few things about his run that I'm really going to praise that at least he tried to play with Clark Kent and get into his head. 
Um, but it was really great. But there were so many Superman movieisms, um, dialogue lifted directly from it that just you know I and 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 that's on me as a reader because I went through that with Johns when he came on to Superman back after Infinite Crisis, mm. and it drove me nuts. So I'm getting all that again. But by the end of that story, I'm like, you're not giving me anything spectacular here. Uh-uh. You're not giving me that storyline that is going to, gr- you're not giving me my Superman court of owls. No. And that could have mm. been, I think yeah. that, that Delucy story could have been, uh, uh, well, maybe not a court of owls, but it could have been a lot better. I think than it was, it just didn't, it had ups and downs. It's almost like the entire thing we're talking about where Superman himself has just been going up and down within that very story of Jeff Johns. It looked like, well, this is good. Oh, wait, that face. Who is that? I don't. So it was this weird vibe that I was getting was I'm trying to really like the story. But every time I look at that face, I just don't know who that guy is. You know, it just. <laughs> It was just so weird, you know, because some people will say that with the first Action Comics run uh, with um, Rags. Uh, was that Rags Morales that wrote, that drew the yeah, first the action? Uh, some people were saying, well, that doesn't look like Superman. That's not the traditional, you know, uh, uh, all the way back, Jurgens, Ordway, Kurt Swan, <laughs> George Perez. I mean, just name them. You put Superman's face, they all knew what his face looked like. Ramita, it's kind of like this just didn't even look like the right guy. Let me ask you both another question, Uh, because, again, you know, I I don't want to assume that my opinion is fact, Mm. uh, because I think that's a mistake a lot of readers make, Mm. especially Superman fans, (laughs) that they believe that just because it's their opinion, it's it's gospel, essentially. Well, my opinion Uh, is gospel, but go ahead. (laughs) Well, it's your show, so you get to have that. (laughs) And I'm old, so. But. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll get off your lawn in a minute sir. Uh, yeah, right. at the very sorry, sorry to break your window <laughs> it's quite alright at the very beginning of the new 52 Rags Morales did a couple of interviews where he was uh, I'm going to be charitable here less than glowing about his opinion on Superman Right. Uh, as a matter of fact I think he was downright insulting mm-hmm. and I'm like why are you drawing this if you don't like this character you know, and, you know, Kenneth Rockefort for a while there was like the definitive Superman artist. It, it's kind of weird when you think about it, because uh, it's a guy that kind of came out of nowhere and suddenly he's like the house style for a little while. And some people really liked him. I liked his compositions. I didn't like the scratchy nature to the artwork. Yeah, I didn't like the scratchy nature to it either. Um, but but then you have John Romita Jr. come on, and I'm going to give John Romita Jr. a lot of props uh, because when they started the current storyline, he gave some interviews where he said some stuff where people were like, "What?" Like suddenly I'm a minion, you know? And <laughs> right. and he actually, when asked about that, went back, read those comments, and said, "Wow, I did come off looking bad." I'm sorry, that's not exactly what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, interviews, you know, judging a person's opinion by the interview with them is kind of like dodgy because you don't know what the person cut out who is presenting the interview. Right. But it seems like 
they keep getting people to write and draw Superman that don't seem to have either an affection for the character or an affection for who the character is. Do you think I'm a little off on that or am am I, would either of you agree? That's definitely definitely what Morales said is that he did not want to draw Superman. He didn't want the job. And the reason that he took it is because Grant sold it to him as the depowered, more rough and ready Bruce Springsteen Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why Rags took the job, which makes me feel a little bit bad for the man that six months in, that's no longer the job. Right. And yet he's contracted to do, you know, all those issues. So he's now stuck in a job that is the job he did not want to do explicitly, not the job he wanted to do. But I thought he did a good job with it. Um, I, I enjoyed Rags Morales' art quite a bit. Um, but, but yeah, his comments about Superman were not flattering, and, and I can understand why. I don't know why you would get that guy to do the job if he doesn't like the character. But at the same time, if you're the writer and you have a particular art style in mind and you want to get that art, then maybe you're willing to do what it takes to get the guy to sign the contract. Mm-hmm. Well, I had two different opinions of Rags Morales. One was the the written interview shortly after, I think Action 2 or 3 had hit when I read the interview first. And I thought, like you were saying, some of us were saying, well, who the hell are you then? Why the hell are you writing or drawing my Superman if you don't even like the guy? Uh, but then I actually saw a video interview with him. And I think it was actually done by uh, the guy from the Superman homepage, which I've forgotten his name, but caught up with him at a comic convention and interviewed him. And that's where he said that when he originally, when he read his original words, he thought, wow, that sounded like a real asshole. But, um, uh, you know, I give him some credit. I, I, those first action comics felt special. The covers looked thing that second one with him in the chair with the like the electric chair and that weird grin on his face and being tortured those were incredible covers and the story yeah, inside, yeah they were they really were and they in the story inside i thought was really keeping up with them i thought we had a different take on lex a different take on a lot of these things and i thought he was laying some great groundwork um but let's move ahead a little bit because uh, we had these initial feelings, and I think, uh, like you said, Michael, you know, you and I both kind of came to terms with quote our Superman not being around for a while. Uh, we've gone through that, and and uh, now John, you know, you've read more Silver Age and Bronze Age more recently even than I have. I mean, I read them all, but I read them all in 1960. So it's like, <laughs> now it's like, you, you'll you put something up you just read, and I'll think, wow, that was a great story. Oh, wait, no, it wasn't. That was really stupid, but a great cover. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know well, red kryptonite saves the day. So, But uh, if we start to move ahead a little bit, uh, and I think we pick it up where Mike, you left off in your in your story there. When Greg Pak came on to Action Comics, my my initial reaction was, well, this is okay. But then he brought Lana back, 
And this is where Mm -hmm. I wish I knew what was going on behind the scenes there in D.C. itself. Because he brings Lana back, and here she is, a strong, smart, wonderful individual human uh, who knows Clark and likes it Clark. We're finally getting some more Clark stuff. And just as I'm really falling in love with her and thinking this is a great character and they can do so much with her as a strong, independent woman who is a friend of Clark's, they hook her up with John Henry Irons, who I like. I have no problem with Steele. But it was almost like they said, strong woman doing great independent by herself, archaeological engineering, doing all these great things. Oh, she needs a man. Let's give her steel. What? It just, it felt, it didn't feel real. It didn't feel organic. It felt like somebody behind the scenes said, we need to bring steel in. Anybody have any ideas how to do that? You know what I'm saying? Did, am I yeah. the only one who thought that? I didn't really feel that way. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I do have opinions on women's roles in narratives and how easy it is to go to, what should we say, heteronormative types of storytelling devices with them Yes, that are really not very necessary. And so while I don't think that Lana, especially the way that Pac was writing Lana, I don't think that that character needed a romantic involvement at all. Not at all. It kind of made me happy to see her with she, with, with Steele. And I don't think that that has negatively impacted the way that she is being used. Her relationship with Steele has been still very much a background element, at least in the stories that I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, unless there's been some big change in the last just handful of months. Um, <sighs> Lana's still Lana. Yeah, and for the and, most and part, I think you, there. yeah, for the most part, I think you're right, and they have kept that kind of relationship. You know, it's a little bit expletive. Oh, we need some expletive. Let's show them in bed waking up, and they're going to tell a little story to get us to the next page, and, and that's that's okay. That's fine. It's just that I don't think. But she then it begs needed. the question: Why did you do it in the first place? Yeah. Well, the uh, I'm okay with them being together because if you can get John Henry into the comics. Uh, I, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I agree. I, I, agree. I, I like what I liked about them getting together is they got together during the doom storyline because they were kind of stuck together. They were in a crisis mode and you know, they, you know, it's, it's kind of like that episode of mash where Alan Alda and what's her name? Make out, uh, at the end, very, uh, Loretta Swit, you know, like make it was in the Superman musical in 1975. Cause it all comes back to Superman. It all comes back to, Superman. um, <laughs> he, you know, they were in a very stressful situation together. And sometimes that, that kind of emotion, especially when you think you're about to die kind of sparks up feelings. So it felt to me like after the whole doom storyline, they were kind of together and it's just like, okay, let, let's, let's have a relationship and see where this goes. Right. Uh, my problem, I don't have a problem with Lana because Greg pack. And this happened with, to me with pack before Greg Pak came onto the Incredible Hulk and told a fantastic story. He's the one that wrote Planet Hulk, hmm. which led into World War Hulk. Interesting. I did not know that. And he played with, he took a character who had an archetype, uh, even though the Hulk's worldview and all that would change from here to there. He took that character and he put him in a completely different setting. He put him on, it's gladiator in space. 
And then he had him come to Earth, and he wrote a, a thing with John Romita Jr. drawing of World War Hulk, where the Hulk's back, he is mad, and he is going to beat everyone to death if he can. And after uh, he came back to the character a little later, after Jeff Loeb kind of had his little started the the next wave of the Hulk stuff. And he really got into the Hulk's head. He did a lot of, he established a lot of really cool things like the fact that even though the Hulk is rampaging, there is this section of his brain that is Bruce Banner, who is, I, I always got it as a visual sense was constantly sitting there at a computer, figuring out all the angles. So, okay, I've got to throw this thing, but let me throw this thing. So I avoid killing anybody. <laughs> And it was this beautiful little thing that was basically kind of an FU to Brian Michael Bendis saying that anytime the Hulk attacks, it's going to be like a 9-11 thing every day. Um, comes on to Superman and his first storyline, he takes Superman and he puts him in a completely different setting. He puts him in a fantasy setting yes. where it's, it's, it's in the world. And then the next storyline, you have shadow hunters and very, to me, Marvel feeling concepts. And I'm like, and then they go into Doomed, and I'm like, okay, he built all this great goodwill, and then we had the bearded Superman, uh, which I actually thought looked I great. love the beard. <laughs> um, but I you know, love, I, I I love the beard. But you know, Greg Pak wrote Clark Kent, but we never saw Clark Kent. Right. And That's true. now we're in this whole new era of Superman. And, and, and one of the things I was thinking about this today when I was driving home from the store, because I knew we were going to be recording and I really kind of wanted to get my thoughts together about this Superman, because the last thing I want to come off uh, as is the guy that's just like, I don't like this stuff and everything should be like it was in 1993. <laughs> I want Superman to have long hair and Superboy and Supergirl and she's got to be pink goo or whatever. No, I'm not I'm not saying that. <laughs> the, Superman's inherent problem is that he's over 75 years old. And because of that, there have been so many iterations of this character. You know, what he was in his first couple of years compared to how he evolved in the 40s, compared to how he evolved in the 50s and 60s, how he continued to evolve in the 70s and early 80s. And then, you know, they restarted and we got a new Superman with a new history and he evolved. And then we got like 15 new Supermans in the early in the over the course of the 2000s mm. um, and all that. And the trap I think Superman fans fall into uh, if I can speak of my people, um, <laughs> is that people get it into their, these, a person likes a particular iteration of Superman. And that's the only iteration that will ever be right to them. <laughs> On top of that is the inherent nature of the character is to have change happen, but not really when the whole truth storyline was announced. My least favorite argument and the and if and if it came up, I was out of that conversation. Was well, you know, they made him electric blue, mm. and they they killed Clark Kent, and they, they they you know he died, and you know if you go back to the seventies, he was he was uh, you know he went to WGBS, and you know these things happen. You just you know you can't complain about it. Yes, I can. 
Yep. Because here's the thing. When he went to being a, a television reporter, when they revamped him, when he died and came back, when Clark Kent was gone for a storyline, in, in the death of Clark Kent, even when he was electric blue, there was enough of the trappings of Superman that it still felt right. I'm not saying it's right as in this is the only way you can do it, but I think there are certain tropes in Superman that kind of need to be there for the, for, for the character to work on a consistent basis. Uh, and what it seems that what, what they tried to do from the very beginning, except for Grant Morrison, from the very beginning of the New 52, it seemed like the marching orders were make this character as completely different from what he was before as you can, and we're going to strip away everything. He's not going to be Clark Kent all the time, and Lois Lane's not going to be in his life, and he's not going to work at the Daily Planet. And now it's, okay, we're getting rid of Clark Kent altogether, and he's on the run, and he's riding a motorcycle, and he's saying hell and damn because apparently he's a 13-year-old who suddenly <laughs> decided he wanted to be a badass. Mm-hmm. Um and I think the problem inherent with all of this is if you look at the commonality is you have people in control and working on this character that either don't seem to get how he works or don't really like him, but are coming on because they're being told they can do whatever they want with him. And I think with both of those, there's a problem there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think, John? You want to know what I think? <laughs> you can disagree with me. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna defriend you and block you on Facebook yet. Oh, <laughs> yet. Um, okay. So I read Truth today. And how much um, of Truth um, did you read? Did you? St- I saw your Facebook post where uh, where you put up that first the, the stero- action comics the, issue. The, the action comics with the steroid shaved head guy on the front. And how so far I did you read get all the sneak peeks? I read all the sneak peeks and I read the first month of every title. Okay. The next issue or two of action and the next issue or two of Superman. So I could figure out how, it, you know, the circumstances for Lois unveiling the secret. Mm. So part of, part of that is, truth- yeah, part of that whole secret Lois stuff uh, is actually told too in Superman Wonder Woman. Um, okay. Yeah. Cause she mentioned in one of the first issues that Diana understands why she did it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. so Diane used the lasso. Here on her. are some, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Wait till you get to thoughts that. I've had about <laughs> some, some thoughts I've had as I was reading. Um, and these are just kind of, you know, me thinking as I'm reading some things I've thought is one Superman is reveling in the fact that he's finally able to cut loose when he's in a fight and fans always seem to enjoy when he's able to cut loose in a fight. Now Superman is showing that he enjoys that too. And it's just a bit more visceral because he's not fighting gods. He's fighting people because he's just, you know, he's a Captain America level of strength rather than a um, Superman level of strength. Um, I see him getting 
really frustrated that everyone seems to be out to get him. All the people that he pissed off as Superman are now able to come and target him as Clark Kent, which is the fear that Spider-Man and Superman have both always had for their entire history. That the deep-seated fear that if I let my secret identity get out, they will come after me in my private life has been made a reality. And things are harder for him right now. And I think about whenever people have been coming after me in my life and how that has changed my mindset about my social activity. And I see there's some parallels with him that he's getting a little bit angrier at life and a little bit more free with maybe more <clears throat> profanity. I, that's how I talk. So although I think it's a little bit unusual to see Superman talking that way, it's how I talk. So I don't really, don't really care. Um, but he's, his, his emotions are seen to be a little bit closer to the surface nowadays. I was very happy to see that the action comics 41 cover was not his hands uh, covered in someone's blood, dripping blood that I thought they were, that everybody seemed to think they were. But rather, it's his own blood because he's just been punched to death and he has his hand wrapped in indestructible fabric. He's just got to break a pretty good boxing glove, if you think about it. Um, so I saw the stuff with Lois and how Lois, I thought it was an interesting take on the Lois Clark Superman concept. Because Lois and Clark have always been best friends. And for five seconds, there is now suddenly this added dimension of the man that she's been best friends with for the last five years is also Superman. And that has a certain added appeal to the relationship. And for five seconds, it's like she's falling in love with him. It seemed to me, and I never saw the Diana, you know, Lasso of Truth thing happening, that her desire to protect Superman by revealing his identity was from a position of increased affection and the um, liability that comes with that. And I, I, I respected those story choices. Um, so I guess all that to say that and I'm not, I'm not trying to put anyone in a box and definitely no one, neither of you, I'm not trying to put you in a box. I feel like I'm coming at this from a, this is a story about a person and about a guy who is also Superman. Whereas I feel like other people are coming at it from perspective of this is a story about Superman and they're doing it wrong. You know, and, and I can totally see that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, I've always respected your opinion. Uh, here's how you're no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the the problem, the, the two problems I have with Lois revealing the identity. Uh, I was glad that it wasn't out of spite because it seemed like that's how they were promoting it. Um, cause she was in that, in that preview thing that came out on free comic book day. She was kind of like not, she seemed to be kind of having this, uh, what is that? What is that called? Um, it's a term where you're just cognitive dissonance about what happened. Uh, right. It's mm -hmm. like, are you still like, there was an, mm -hmm. there's an issue of, of Batman Superman where she asks, they're talking, and this is after everything's been revealed, 
And she's like, well, how are you? He goes, well, my life sucks. She goes, oh, you're still upset about that? And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, 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 the two problems I have with it are very specific. One, it's unearned. Because they have done everything over the past four years to keep Superman and, and Lois apart. And now we're supposed to just think that they've been friends all this time when we really haven't seen a whole lot of that. Saw a little bit of it in Perez, but it seemed like for a while there, it was, you know, and, and, and some of that had to do with the Brainiac story, and I'll give you that. But it seemed like everybody under the sun was just like, well, you know, that's been done, so we're going to try something different. And now it's like, oh, they've been yeah. really they've been really good friends, and look, she's trying to help him. And I didn't feel like it was earned on a narrative level. That's interesting, because I, I, I don't... I feel like we have seen their friendship. Like every time hmm. they get together, they're you know Clark's like you know we've been friends for all this time and and maybe it's been mostly in caption boxes, like scene setting caption boxes more than hmm. actually what's on the page. But but I feel like we have been reminded frequently that these people are best friends and have been for a while now. Um, <laughs> Perhaps we should actually see more of the best friendery on the page. That's what I'm saying. We're being shown, but we're being told, told not shown. but not shown. You see, that's I agree with you, Michael. That's kind of what they've been doing this whole time. When it's convenient for them, they all they bring uh, this phrase in. Well, we've been friends a long time, or we've been done. We've been through all this together. But on the page, it's been exactly the opposite. They have not been close friends. She's you know, cutting him out of her personal life. He's cut her out of his personal life. They are, they, they've shown nothing really in five years of Clark and Lois going after stories, you know, of her being a reporter. Um, uh, you mentioned it earlier with the annual, uh, to me that we're not annual, but that zero issue of action comics. And it was written by Grant Morrison drawn by Jay Lee. And I know some people have, you know, there's a, a wide variety of opinions about Jay Lee's art. Um, but that action comic Zero story, The Boy Who Stole Superman's Cape, it, that might be my favorite story in the last five years from uh, from everything that all of them have done. Uh, I think for a fun story of Greg Pak, uh, the under under uh, Underworld story of the little purple guy that I've forgotten the little purple guy's name that was yeah a, I know what you're talking about the, the little pet in the fortress that turns into a monster thing uh it was, I think it was I think I think it was his first story once once he uh, yeah. did the zero year issue I think yeah. the first go see I thought that was that's where you got Lana Yes, that we bring Lana in for that story. It's, uh, I thought, a really well-told little story. It was sci-fi like hell, which I loved. In the midst of all of this DC real world, everything is real. Everything is gruesome and terrible and awful. We're seeing a good relationship between, uh, I'll say Clark, because he was... It's hard to tell what character he is when he's with Lana. Is he Clark? Is he Superman? He's trying to be both. Um but throughout that, I think those were just two really fun stories. One of my main problems with the New 52 Superman is the have your cake and eat it too thing. We want him to be this young, new, brash guy learning. 
But at the same time, we've had five Robins in five years. I mean, it's it's Dick Grayson now and Cal L are basically the same age. So you're kind of losing that. What I always loved that great relationship between uh, Superman and Dick Grayson. There's some wonderful stories that have been told, Christmas stories and other stories of of Superman doing little things for Robin or they're having little adventures of their own, their own separate relationship from Batman and Robin. You know what I'm saying? That's been a very special thing. And there's been several panels and pages in the new 52. For example, uh, just before the hell story broke, there's a picture, uh, a scene where Superman and uh, the new Supergirl are on the same page together. And to me, it looked like it was Supergirl talking to Superboy, not Superman. And I think that's been one of the problems for me with the New 52 is I would have loved to have seen them jump off from the Grant Morrison thing. And then when it gets into the full new uh, current time zone, so he's in the same time uh, with all the other Justice League members, that now he is caught up to their age. But to me, uh, one of the problems with the New 52 is the fact that they decided to that Superman was not the thing that all these other guys came after. He's the new guy on the block. And there were scenes in the justice league in that first Jeff Johns arc with Jim Lee, where you see most of the justice league standing around. And I think, wow, these are great looking images. And there's the grown up Batman. There's Hal Jordan. There's Barry Allen. And then there's this little boy holding a hamster cage in a Superman costume. Uh, he didn't, look like he fit in with the rest of them he didn't and that's been the whole way and i think mike your point about them saying nowadays take everything that used to be that colonel we're going to strip him down to the bare essence of nothing and it might be as some have have said to then build him back up to bring him to the person that we all know well they're taking their time about it. They've destroyed everything. How do you put these toys back in the box without a total reboot? You know, it, it's just taken him down some really, really dark places where I don't know how we get, uh, the good Clark Kent back, the good Superman back, for example, and I'm rambling a little bit babble, but do you mean the good, the good morally or the good Mike that you like? The good morally guy, the guy, because right now what we're seeing is we'll hear scenes where his thought bubble will say, uh, Paul Kent would really hate this, but I'm going to do it anyway. My anger, this thing is feeding off my anger. I understand that now I need to back off my anger, but I'm going to get in this big angry fight with him first. He's doing everything that is, that it would not have happened before. If he's up against a creature, in fact, doing little things, hitting a cop full force in the face, even the depowered guy, uh, that would have done serious damage had that been a human. But it turned out to be one of the shadow monsters, and his internal monologue was not, oh my God, I shouldn't have lost control like that. It was, wow, I got lucky that I didn't kill him. If he had been a real human, he would have been dead. Good thing it was a shadow monster. It's those little bits here and here that have been spread out through the New 52, and particularly recently that just with this truth arc, 
that it's almost because Greg Pak and I'm, I'm I know I'm doing this again, but it was almost like Greg Pak was building a good Superman character over there. Uh, he was bringing in some good character beats with Lana. We were seeing how his relationship was with Lex Luthor and some of these other things, and it was almost like somebody at editorial or Dan DeDio said, "Stop it! Right now, we need to get him down to the most." hated human on the planet before we can turn him back into a real Superman because it's it, the, the, the current, the last year, this truth storyline has left me so cold has just left me. I've got stacks over there and I just keep thinking I'll get to them instead of, all right, a new action Wednesday. Yay. It's like, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I, don't know. I do sometimes wonder about what's going on behind closed doors, and this is part of part of how I think about comics in general and in stories is is what order things get developed, yes, and what order decisions are made, and and what's known by some people whenever other people are doing something. That that is a constant conversation that I have in my head. Nobody. Me too. Because I don't know any of the answers because I'm not there. Right. And I don't but, think we um, will know these answers until Didio and company are no longer in charge. And, and then other people start talking about it. If they do. Cause, if cause they here's, do. Right. Here's the thing. I, I mean, I can sit here and think that I, the easy thing to do is try to vilify the people in charge. Right. Uh it may feel good, but I don't think it's healthy, and I don't think it's constructive. But don't you uh, think we have to call him out sometimes? When because well, when he uh, makes comments about how Superman is is not the important character at DC, and then when somebody calls him on it, he'll say, "Oh, that's not what I meant. I meant DC Superman. Uh, DC needs a strong Superman for DC to be strong." And then he goes and just goes on for the next twenty minutes about how great Batman is. Well, well, here's the thing. I, I don't think the problem, if we're going to get into this, going to try to get inside baseball and all that, uh, I don't think the problem is DiDio. I think the problem is Jim Lee. And I'm going to preface what I'm about to say by saying this. Uh, I have nothing against Jim Lee personally. Seems like a lovely man. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously likes uh, kids because he keeps having them. Um, <laughs> right. And I so think... I think uh, I look at his X-Men artwork and I'm like, wow, that is amazing. Uh, and I, and even Wildcats, his work on that looks good. I, I'm not all that impressed with the stories, but that's an entirely different thing. Uh, I think, I love he, me some Wildcats. I think he is. Ama- <laughs> Which version? Though? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't mean to sound like I keep interrupting you. I think that makes me go with the sound, but. Um, original Wildcats. Like, I like Wildcats, like the first Wildcats. I've been reading those awesome stuff. But I I get the feeling that when it comes to DC Comics, he likes Batman, and that's kind of where it stops. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that because, and this is unsubstantiated because, you know, the, the, the article didn't have a citation. But... Back in the night, and and people can change in twenty years, but back in, when he was running Wildstorm, and I, I again to give him credit, this is a man that had the business sense to make himself a popular artist, leveraged that into 
being part of a partnership that creates an explosively popular comic book company, ran his own studio for six years, sold all of it to DC, started working for DC, and still kind of being over that, and leveraged that into becoming a co-publisher. So as a businessman, I do not fault Jim Lee in any sense of the word. Not he was all. able he was able to do what he was able to do. Right. And I am always I, I, I always am like behind that. He, there is a character in the Wildstorm universe named Mr. Majestic. And he is very much a Superman character. Um, mm-hmm. there's been different iterations of him, but as originally conceived and, and I can't find where the interview was, but Jim Lee basically says, said, so, paraphrasing, I don't understand why Superman does what he does. If he's that powerful, he should be doing more. He should be, you know, and, and, and that to me, the way it was phrased told me that he doesn't get the concept of doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Like yeah. if you have power, you should use it in a different way than, you know, helping people on a smaller scale or whatever. Mm-hmm. And again, we could we could get lost in that argument all night. I just think that one half of the main people at DC Comics right now does not like this character. And I'm not saying he's trying to tank the character, so don't take that to, to take what I'm saying is that either. Because mm-hmm. I'm I don't think anybody working who has worked on Superman in the past 15 years has gone into it going, God, I hate this character. I'm going to ruin him. I'm going to get it canceled. <laughs> right. I'm going to and he's right. pouring gasoline all over DC Comics and lighting it on fire. <laughs> I think what sticking pins in his action figures. I think what we've had is two editors that don't have you know, Eddie Berganza and then Matt Idelson and now Eddie Berganza again that don't have a firm grasp on how they think the character should be. So they're leaving it up to the creative people and they're getting creative people that time and again, Chuck Austin, Rags Morales, John Romita Jr. Uh, I'd have to do research to get more names, but you have these people that are like, I don't want to write Superman. Okay. Well, we're going to Batman Returns this bad boy, and you can do whatever you want. Yep. And when you start from that position, you're starting from the position of a person that doesn't believe in the character they're writing. Now, John touched on something, which is why I love talking to John, is that, you know, we're... And if I'm getting this wrong, let me know again. You think that the Superman as presented at the beginning of the truth arc of what you've read up till now, uh, and and really he hasn't changed all that much. So uh, right. your initial perception is pretty accurate. Right. Uh, that it's just a natural, like, like it, them exploring this concept. Like he's depowered. Everyone's gunning for him. How does Superman react? Go. A- a- am I close there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're, they're telling that story. Okay. And that's a fine story to tell. 
the problem is, is we've had all of these creative valleys followed by valleys followed by a slight peak by valleys that it just it 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 goes from we're telling an interesting story to throw this at the wall and see what happens and i think that's where my personal problem is there is that and that i i can totally agree with that and 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 here's why um what i what i was starting to say earlier about why i wish i could be in a conversation is that um, it seemed like whatever direction Superman was in, uh, in let's say December of last year, whatever direction that was, it was a direction. There was a direction going on there. The characters, the, the different creative teams were doing their thing. Superman Wonder Woman was doing its thing. Batman Superman was doing its thing. And then suddenly out of, to our perspective, out of nowhere, the shift comes down where after convergence, everything changes. And why did everything have to change? I'm not faulting the fact that everything changed. I'm saying whose idea was it and why that everything had to change, not just for Superman, but for a lot of DC. I understand the, the publishing initiative of increasing your diversity of genre, title, and character. That's great. But why does it have to go along with a vastly dramatic shift in Superman? Um, because you're right, Michael. We have not had a consistency to sit on before we are being made to jump up in surprise and shock. And, and, we, we, we've, tried to, we've tried to enjoy this arc. We've tried to enjoy that creative team. We've tried to enjoy this title over here. But we have not had a flow of Superman to get us going along a way so that whenever something happens, it's part of the story. And, and it's kind of funny because it's, it's easy to compare at this point, especially Superman to Spider-Man because for one thing, the character is taking on a lot of Peter Parkerisms um, and things that I mean, right down to Perry White being mad at Clark Kent. That should uh, never have happened. W- w- which is a thing. But here's the thing: a couple years ago, Dan Slott, uh, whose name is you know, some people spit venom when you say it. <laughs> Dan Slott had a story idea where he was going to have Doc Ock take his personality, take over the body of Peter Parker. And they had this huge mental battle. And at the end of, if I'm correct, Amazing Spider-Man number 700, Doc Ock was Peter Parker. He had the body and he was Spider-Man. Yep. And they did a, it went on about 30 some odd issues called Superior Spider-Man. And it was showing Doc Ock assuming the role of the hero and how that changed Otto Octavius as a character. Uh, Slot brought in new supporting characters. He had a whole new paradigm for Peter Parker. And I came in at about the middle of it, and I got to tell you, I loved it. I was like, wow, mm-hmm. this is great. And right before Amazing Spider-Man 2 came out, the story came to an end. Shock, mm-hmm. surprise, gasp. Mm-hmm. By the time Spider Amazing Spider-Man 2 was in the theaters... Peter Parker was Spider-Man again. Yeah. Guess what happens in February? 
<laughs> With issue number 50. 50. Superman gets his powers back. Yeah. Batman, Bruce Wayne, is Batman again. Now, here's the thing that is different between Superman, between Batman and Spider-Man and Superman. Okay? And it goes to the heart of what John just said. Dan Slott, love him or hate him, had a creative vision for Peter Parker. You can disagree with it. You can hate it. But for a couple years there, he was the main writer in charge of that character. And he told a few stories, and then he did this story, and then he moved on to the next thing that he wanted to move on to. Scott Snyder came on to Batman, and there have been other people working on Batman. Peter Tomasi, you know, has been writing Batman and Robin. They've had a couple different creators on Detective. But I think Scott Snyder is like the lead guy on Batman right now. And he and Greg Capullo, for four years, took that character back to what made him work, and told some fantastic stories in the process. Yeah. We have not gotten that with Superman. Well, you were said it earlier. No, he, they, they earned it. Snyder and Capullo earned that storyline of Gordon, whether you like it or hate it or whatever, they at least earned you going, Oh, let's see where this is going. When they said, we're going to make Gordon now wear the bat suit, et cetera, et cetera. All that story. They earned that because they had already given you four years of really, really good, solid Batman stories. And I think had truth come out, even the same story, same artwork, everything, basically the same, but we had, it had come out of four years of developing these characters from consistent artwork, consistent storytelling, so that then all of a sudden when Lois blurts out Superman's identity and all these things happen and he loses his power, et cetera, et cetera, then they would have earned it and it would have been in a different, um, or at least I and I'm, I should say that I would have been in a different frame of mind because well, Kim even said this to me the other day. I was bitching about something in the comics and she said, you're sure are bringing a lot of baggage with you to that story. And she was right. I was not just looking at the story based on what he really wanted to tell us. Let's be fair, Bob. We've got steamer trunks. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like we're getting on the Titanic. Yeah. And we've got three months worth of clothes with us whenever we come to this stuff. Whereas John, I think, has like an overnight bag. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's not yeah. insulting you, John, by the way. No. I hope you don't take it. But that overnight bag has been to a lot of the world. I'm yeah. just saying. Yes. Yes. I've read a lot of Superman. Yeah. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but here's the thing. And, and I think it goes to kind of the heart of uh, the one thing I think the three of us can 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 agree on. Because... As much as I've disagreed with John about how things have gone, I've always kind of respected his outlook because he is the he's the one and it's this I don't know if I've ever told you this, John. When you don't like something, I know it's bad. Yeah, yes. And I'm not and, I, and I'm not saying you're the anti Mikey who didn't like everything and suddenly you eat life cereal and that's why life cereal is amazing. I'm saying is you're the guy who's been out there beating the drums and trying to be a cheerleader. And when, you know, it's just like if, if, if we've lost John Wilson, we've lost, you know, the battle basically. Right. Well, it's how I know that the fantastic four movie really is terrible (laughs) because I only kind of like, like parts of it. 
Like, I, I feel really good about the first act of that film and the second act I have problems with. And the third act is, a, you know, I, I would, you know, scrape off the cells and, and, and reshoot. So if I am coming at the Fantastic Four film saying, eh, then it really must be a pile of garbage. Yeah. yeah. Because, but I think the commonality in all three of us, and I think this is a commonality in Superman fandom, is we can disagree about how, you know, <laughs> how they make the donuts, right? We can disagree what flavor of donuts that we're getting. What we all want is a consistency of product, a, a game plan. Even if you're doing a five-year mission, I will be more accepting if you started that five-year mission and you told your story and at the end of it you're telling another story I know at least there was a beginning, a middle of an end. What yes. we've gotten is we've gotten a Skype call that goes great. And then suddenly somebody start talking and they drop and it's <laughs> quiet for a really long time. And then the call starts back up. again. Are, are, you, are, you, are, you, try, are you trying to say something here? No. I'm, <laughs> Okay, that happened to us, but that's not. I'm not picking on you because of it. It's not your fault. I know, I it's but, great at bringing in that real life stuff for a metaphor that it just happened and it happens to fit my story. Yeah, well, it it does because I think, you know, I am not a fan of Chuck of, of uh, Joe Casey's run on Adventures of Superman. Mm -hmm. I didn't like it. Uh, I it was. It's when was started, that? Who's, 2001 to about 2004. Okay. Um, he took the character into directions that, uh, that I just, I was just like, I don't like this, but you know what? He was true to himself throughout the entire thing. Mm -hmm. So from beginning to end, I can dislike it because I don't like how he's producing it, but God bless him for being consistent. You know, I don't know what the solution to this problem is. I don't know if we need, somebody to come in who has a Jeff Johns, Hal Jordan level of love for Superman. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We if... had that. Okay. We had, we had that with Scott Lobdell. He, he had a treatment and a long-term game plan. Yeah. And his book went into the tank after hell on earth. And because here's and this this is going back to some of my theory that I've built about how this thing has all gone down. Once it became apparent that George Perez was not going to be the writer of Superman for very long, I'm pretty sure that Scott Lobdell was pegged pretty early on. Mm -hmm. But he had to finish his Superboy run, and so they had to play they had to play the waiting game, and that's why you had Jurgens and Giffen in there for five seconds. Um, I think the crossover story for all four super books was originally planned for the second half of the first year, not 13 and, and plus, mm -hmm. uh, because the books were building to that at that time. And the continuity coming out of that first six months is a little bit wonky because of the way things were supposed to go. Um, and Scott Lobdell talks about whenever he first started writing, he talked about how 
whenever he pitched for Superman, he pitched a book. He wrote plot outlines and character redesigns for 20 different characters mm. that he was going to bring in as far as villains and antagonists and other things to do in the stories and stuff. And he didn't get to do all of that because for whatever reason, I'm not faulting the guy because I have loved or at least enjoyed the vast majority of what I read from him. But for whatever reason, his, his sales went into the tank. And um, I think what we have right now is the end product result of Superman sales continually plummeting every time they've tried to do something interesting for the last four years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we haven't, we, we haven't had a consistency. We haven't had the Scott Snyder Batman steering the ship of the Superman, you know, books. And so until truth happened, which, which at least to my, to my one apparent month of reading, seems to be on a single page. I feel like the stories were at least all on the same page and they, they communicated with each other. The stories interacted with each other and the continuity and timeline was definitely laid out. At least in those first two months of issues that I have read, those writers knew what the other writers were doing and what order the events of stories were to happen so they could build the emotional dynamic and play off of what other writers were going to do two issues from now. I'm, I'm going to spoil something for you that's not actually spoiling anything. Um, okay. Super- wait, wait, wait. wait. Does, does, does Obi-Wan die at the end of Star Wars? <laughs> yes, Obi-Wan <laughs> dies at the end Obi-Wan of Star Wars. Obi-Wan does die, yes. And, and then he God proceeds... Dang it! He also <laughs> proceeds to lie for three solid films. Right. Um, the... Um, I'll agree with you that at least it seems like the creative teams are on the same page. Uh, I may not like the page, but they're on the same page. What you're going to see, John, is in action, in Batman, Superman, and in Superman, Wonder Woman. At one point, all of those story points touch and then break off again. Uh, it was actually kind of elegant. I'm not saying I like it. I'm just saying structurally it was sound. Meanwhile, Superman is off on its kind of like its own little world, basically. Yeah. Um, well, from I, what I can tell, Superman is like the prequel of all the others. Like action, it, Batman, and Wonder Woman are all sort of within a few weeks of each. You know, they're they're close together if if you know not simultaneous. But Superman's the prelude. And I and I and I'll tell you what about that. And if he wasn't snarky about it, I might have been a little more on board with it. The way they marketed this story is that in the first month, we're going to find out what happened, and then all of the creative teams go off on their own way. Now, I could be wrong about that. That could, have been, that could be on me. But... once again, this is the problem with the new 52 Superman is that you have one book that is out of sync with, uh, with the other title titles now titles. And it was bad enough when it was just Superman in action. Now you've got two other books in it, right? And when you have the writer of the prequel end of it going, well, linear is overrated. (laughs) I'm thinking you're kind of a douche. I'm not saying 
you are okay let, let, let me rephrase that you're acting like one i'm not saying you are one i'm saying you're acting like one to take a page out of it's the kind of language that's very important for a teacher to have i can't call the student a name right. yeah but i can sometimes get away with saying they're acting like something. they're acting yeah. like one. you're not stupid but you sure as hell are acting stupid as my mother was want to tell yes. us yes uh, because she didn't want to be emotionally abusive but she also wanted to get her point across that she didn't like what we were doing right um so I think, I think in terms of how this story was marketed has a lot to do with my problems too, because you had all these interviews where everyone seemed really happy with what they were doing to Superman. And it's just like, okay, it's, it's like, it's, it, it's almost like somebody coming in and telling me, okay, we're going to rework your marriage completely and your wife's going to hate you for six months. But don't worry, in the end, it's all going to work out. I don't want to go through six months of my wife hating me. So yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which is probably a lousy way of saying it, but it's just, (sighs) I, I, it feels lost to me. It feels arrow to me, but I'm sorry. I don't mean to keep cutting off. I I think the biggest disappointment is I want to like all of this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not going into any of these books to hate them. Yeah. See, that's uh, my biggest thing. And I keep thinking after I do a show or I talk and I keep thinking, man, I must sound like I just really hate Superman and hate DC and hate. No, I want to love these things so much that this when the story lets me down like this does or or the fact that I just don't think he's acting in character. It's one of the biggest come, you know, I've never actually, you know, like on the air or whatever, talked to uh, Scotty V, Scott Venicom from the Superman homepage. But he and I disagree on this. He thinks that it is the same character. It has felt to him throughout the entire New 52, whether he likes the story or not, he still thinks, well, that's Superman. That guy has been... Superman. He's just in a different story. Well, to me, it hasn't even had the character of Superman. Uh, He's just doing things. Well, all of them are Jimmy and Lois. uh, All of them are Perry White yelling and, and the Perry White would not react to finding out that Clark is Superman the way he did, in my opinion, in any genre, in any era of the Superman titles. I'm not you know, just saying, well, you know, my Perry White of the 60s wouldn't do that. He may not, or he may have, but it just, most of it just seems like these people don't know the characters. So had the same story been told, a depowered Superman, the world's out to get him, all this other stuff, I'd still eliminate the whole telling the secret identity to the world. I think that's too important a thing to just throw out. I don't know how they're going to put that back together. Maybe that's my problem. Maybe I'm still worried about how are they going to put all this back in the toy box for the next guy? And in an interview, Greg Pak seemed to think, well, why should we? Why should I go back to giving him his powers? Or why should he go back into the costume now? I mean, I'm just telling the story. And in an interview, he made it sound like this whole storyline that we're into the lowest giving out the secret, everything we've gone through for the last, particularly the last, this truth arc, Greg Pak said it was his, there was nobody from editorial said, Hey, get rid of the costume or take the cape away. Nobody gave him those directions. He said, 
this was his idea and they okayed it. I don't know. Well, he's the most consistent writer we've had. He came on in Action Comics 25, and he's still writing it as we go into 50. Yeah, so he's that there for the two and a half years. Yeah. Superman writer we've had. For two and a half years, and some of the best stuff, in my opinion, since uh, Grant Morrison. Some of the most consistent, and occasionally when I smile after reading one of these issues, uh, it's because he's written something very clever or done something very fun or cute. I have not enjoyed the truth arc though, because mainly I don't agree with the premise of it, the basic idea. And I think that they're writing these people out of character. They bring in somebody we've never heard of. And all of a sudden she's more important to Clark Kent's secret identity and how he's going to get through things than Lois Lane is. It it they, it goes back to what you said, Mike. They haven't earned it yet. They haven't laid it all out in a way that seems like, well, of course he and Condessa are going to be friends because they went through all this stuff back here, blah, blah, blah. Well, no, one issue he's fighting her neighborhood. The next issue he's spilling his guts to her. It's kind of funny, though, because... I'm really weird in, in 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 my like and dislike of things. Uh, one of one of the things is, is is you said, and I'm not I'm not coming at you, Bob, but you said something about people acting out of character. I think for the most part, that's an I don't like. I, I personally don't like using that because drama comes out of people acting out of character. Uh, so I, I get what you're saying, but mm-hmm. it's just, that, that's something that flips into my head. I understand. I, you said it the other night, I think on radio KAL and I went, Hey, you yelling at me? <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not, not today. Maybe later. Maybe later um, right. when, 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 when so you're we'll on, use the safe word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, really? I, I think one of, <laughs> I think it's kind of funny in, is that, you know, Pack is doing something that writers and and, and and John can relate to this reading Spider-Man, like decades of Spider-Man. People get their pet characters and they want to like make that character a thing. And unfortunately, I've been, you know, I've been around the block long enough to know that, you know, for every Lois Lane, you have 15 Ashbury Armstrongs. Uh, and if anybody out there is like, who's Ashbury Armstrong? You've made my point for me. Yeah, I don't know who because Ashbury Armstrong is. She was a big supporting character in the Superman books in the late 90s. Really? Her father was a conservative newspaper Rush Limbaugh type stand in named Dirk Armstrong. Oh! Oh! Uh, they name checked on Supergirl. Yes! Uh, recently. A good episode, uh, too. God, that's a great and show. And she was blind, and she had a friend who was an alien from the post-crisis version of Kandor uh, named Scorn, who was this big blue-horned being. And these people were an important part of the book Wow! for years, and then they were gone. Gone. Wow. They were Deb Whitmaned right out of that book. <laughs> I was saying the exact same thing. Deb Whitman. Deb Whitman. That's very good. Or freaking Chrissy Ironwood. I mean, who the hell is Chrissy Ironwood, right? Well, she was a major romantic interest for Peter whenever Chris Claremont was writing Peter. So it's hard for me as a longtime reader, and again, this is on me more than on the writer, but it's, it's still a thing, 
is it's hard for me to get into this Lee character because I know I, I saw her. I saw what Pac was doing. I've seen the things Pac has developed with her. And every time I see it, I see it like a clock, a countdown clock. Mm-hmm. That That's just like, okay, at one point when Pac's gone, we are never seeing this character right. again. Right. There, there was a character named Sasha that was Bruce Wayne's bodyguard. Uh, when Greg Rucka was writing detective comics, the only reason that she had a life beyond Batman is that Greg Rucka took that character and brought her into the OMAC project and then brought her into checkmate. So unless that writer (laughs) is dealing with that character that isn't Lois Lane, that isn't Aunt May, that isn't Alfred, these characters, it, it's hard to really for me to develop any kind of affinity for them because because <laughs> I know that they're going to be gone. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes it's heartbreaking because sometimes you really start liking a secondary character, right? But but the thing is, is that to me, and, and, and I don't call myself a Superman purist. Uh, I call myself a traditionalist because it doesn't have to be one way. Right. But there's certain things I like to see. You know, I want to get back to the Daily Planet. And yes, you have to completely fundamentally change how the Daily Planet works. It can't work like it did in the 90s. It can't work like it did in the 50s. It Mm -mm. can't work like it did in the 30s. Because newsrooms don't work the same as they did then. Everything's Um, changed. Actually, one of the things I'm looking forward to most about Batman v Superman is it may be a small part of the movie, but damn it, we're going to get to see Clark Kent doing some reporting. I know. Isn't that cool? I am looking forward to this movie. I am avoiding spoilers wherever possible. I am just, I just can't wait for March. Come on, March, hurry up. Star Wars, what? Let's go. Come on, Batman. And and you know what's really funny is everybody, the group think is, is that the the cinematic universe is butchering Superman. Mm. And yet it is the most pure version of Superman we've gotten since Smallville. Since Smallville. I think it's been a long time. Absolutely. No, I think they've, you know, well, you and I have talked on several shows together about Man of Steel movie, and uh, uh, my my feelings haven't changed about it. I still enjoy it. I popped it in the other day. Uh, just as background, I wasn't going to sit down, but it was just there. It was on in the background, and I'd walk through, and there it'd be on. I'd stop and watch the scene for a few minutes, and, and I just think, you know, it's it's a good movie, folks, and it's a good Superman movie. And I think, uh, you know, there are a couple of guys who are so excited about this new sequel that they're doing a 13 part mega series. I heard that on, the, these um, two guys are. Yeah. Really, John? Yeah. Who are these guys? Yeah. Tell and us about it, John. I, <laughs> I am interested in your publication and wish to subscribe. <laughs> How can we find this? <laughs> Go to Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at the two true dot com website. And you'll find 13 parts of discussion of Batman and Superman comics all as an epic lead-in to Batman v. Superman, including a five-hour retrospective on Man of Steel. Starting in December 2015, a new epic series. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality proudly presents Batman v Superman, a 13-part miniseries from Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. John M. Wilson and Magnus 
shine a spotlight on a crapload of Batman comics and a crapload of Superman comics. All this preparation for the theatrical release of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. And once that's all over, we'll take a five hour long look back at 2013's Man of Steel. Finally, we will come together again to discuss our thoughts on the Batman v Superman film. So join Magnus and John as they recount the adventures of Batman and Superman in comics. All is preparation for Batman and Superman's first adventure in live action feature film. The adventure begins in December 2015. Batman v Superman. Only at twotruefreaks.com. Batman vs. Superman, a 13-part miniseries from Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Only at twotruefreaks.com. That was hella fun to record. Wow. I might have cried while we were recording about Man of Steel because I got I got really into that discussion. Oh, good, good. I look forward to that. Because, you know, because, you know and, and, and if we're going to pimp ourselves. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who. I don't care for anime. I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I have been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is. A crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called Views from the Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series or issue or character or whatever to talk about, and then I, well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, The Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and from there you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Longbox. A podcast about comics, or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. You know, I, I did two posts on The Fortress uh, in December. Uh, one post was what I think is the fatal flaw of the film, and then I think I wrote just as much about what I liked about the movie. And, and that's the thing, is that because I was able to Elsa my feelings on Superman, and let it go for those who didn't get the joke. Cause it was probably kind of, <laughs> um, <Okay. laughs> 
it's not funny if you have to explain it. I realize that. Um, because I went through what I went through on a personal level, I am now more willing to accept different versions of Superman. Uh, I'm not saying that this is how you have to be, because I'll argue my opinion to death, but I will not argue that you must feel the way I do come hell or high water. Right. Uh, I, I think that's what separates at least the three of us here from other people that we talk to occasionally on Facebook. I will do the same thing. I will promote my favorite aspects of Superman and my favorite era, but not for a second would I say, well, gee, Charlie Niemeyer, you're an idiot for liking the Bronze Age. You know, how could you like that with that stupid GBS stuff? I'm not going to do that. That's What's a weird coincidence. I know a guy named Charlie Niemeyer. That's weird that you picked that name. Wow. <laughs> And does he know anything about the Bronze Age Superman? Cool. He knows a fair amount. Personally, I think, I mean, my, my opinion is that if you don't agree with me, then you're not a real Superman fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You see, and that's the problem. And, and I think part of the problem with Superman is his own fandom as well. Yeah. And again, and I don't like getting into this th that often in public. I mean, I'll talk about this in private all day long, right. as John and Bob are both fully aware. Uh, right. But I'm getting to the point where people's behavior is pissing me off enough that I am saying stuff in public. Mm. And it, it, it's like this. I don't like the truth storyline. I haven't really enjoyed the books as much as I wanted to. I think it's it's a I, I think for various reasons which I've babbled on about, they're fundamentally screwing up a character I love. If there is anybody out there listening to this show that loves what's going on, please hold on to that. And if there's anybody out there that thinks that their version of Superman should be the only version, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. This is a character that has been around in one form or another since 1933. You know, we can... What about Action Comics? I thought it was 1938. <laughs> Reign of the Superman was published in 1933. Uh, and that was the first version of what eventually became Superman. He has been in just about every conceivable adapted media that you can think of. Radio, television, movies, um, dramatic... Uh, Porn. Yes. Um, it's on several occasions. Also, they've done computer stories, mm -hmm. uh, the multi-path adventures of Superman. Novels. Uh, they've done novels. They've done audio productions. This character has changed and evolved and then got stuck and changed again. There is no one way to do him. So to sit there and say, this is, it has to be Christopher Reeve, or it has to be the Silver Age, or it has to be post-crisis. If that's what you like and that's what you want to stick with, uh, more power to you, you know? You know, if you think that only Kurt Swan should ever draw Superman, my my heart goes out to you because he's been dead for dead over for a, a decade. Now, for, almost, yes. for almost 20 years. <laughs> yeah, he's been dead um, a while. <laughs> But still, if that's if you look at that and go, that's Superman, 
I'm going to go, well, 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 what anchor do you like? Because then we can really get into some arguments about Kurt Swan. <laughs> right. Right. Do you, you want George Klein or do you like Murphy Anderson? You, I know you don't like Frank Giamonte because nobody likes Nobody Frank likes Frank Giamonte. What about Stan K? You like Stan K? <laughs> Um, we're getting really nerdy about superman um that's what the show's all about but 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 still i i I think what we have we as a fandom need to do is be more like the character we proclaim to love thank you i think there are way too many superman fans out there or people that say they like the character that are just freaking nasty about it yeah and it just drives me up the freaking wall i don't want to be the guy to call people out but it's time to start calling people out. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to think that way too. But over the last six months or so, I've really backed off uh, because there comes a time when, you know, even even today, I'm glancing through Facebook trying to avoid Star Wars stuff. And, yeah, I know. And then I see one guy saying, uh, and it was just on a Superman site saying something about, thanks for letting me in. My favorite Superman is Christopher reeves and i like him almost as much as i like george reeves as if they were brothers or something and now that's a nitpicky thing one is reeve the other is reeves and that is a nitpicky thing and i used to correct people now i just let it go let it go there's no need for me to always correct everybody on the internet about a superman comment and I just sometimes don't even know where to stop because maybe that person would like to know that they're doing one of their names wrong, that it's, you know, uh, I don't know, it, but it's part of being a Superman fan. I am of the part where I love a particular era maybe more than others, but there is something in every single era I've ever read in the comics that I love about Superman. I love, as we all know, the George Reeves TV show. It's just that first season is just spectacular Superman watching, but I can take one. I can take an episode from the fifth or sixth season where people think, well, it's all, it's nothing but a comedy episode for Jimmy and Lois. Yes, but it's damn funny. Okay. I enjoy it. And Superman coming in at the end of the day. I can also look at the Christopher Reeve movies and enjoy them for what they are. That doesn't mean that, oh, because I like George Reeves' TV show, that I must hate Henry Cavill and anybody who came after him. There's only one Superman. No, you can't do that. And Kirk Allen was a great Clark Kent. Of course, his Superman was all animated. But uh, it, we get into every one of them. Whether you, Everybody who's put that costume on, Dean Cain. Uh, was a good Clark Kent. Not my favorite Superman. I think some of his uh, 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 uncomfortable feelings in the costume came through the camera. I think he looked uncomfortable at times. But uh, that first season of Lois and Clark with he and Terry Hatcher, it just didn't get any better as a Superman story than that first season. They're terrific. So anyway, to back up your point, Michael... I am a, like you. I'm one of these guys who, yes, I have my favorite era. There are things that I thoroughly enjoy uh, picking up a Silver Age comic book, reading it for the silliness, for the fun, for whatever it is, enjoying it, but then going right back and picking up something else that's more modern and enjoying it for what it is. That's what has been so disappointing for me about 
not the whole new 52, because as we've already said over here in the last couple hours, that, that are, there are parts of it that all three of us enjoyed. But we get to this arc, and it and there just... there are parts that only I enjoyed. Uh, there are parts that you enjoyed, too, I assume. There are parts that we all enjoyed, then there are parts that only I enjoyed. Oh, that only you enjoy? Yes, yeah, probably. But you—it's—it's it's funny because when I love to hear you talk about this, you actually came from it from a different point of view than I did. You—you you accepted it on face value more than I did. Um, as the truth storyline went, and I'm going to use this word on purpose went down to me, it kept going down and, and I think they did it intentionally. I'm not trying to be negative here on this. I think they literally, whoever behind the scenes, however, those discussions went, somebody back there decided we're going to deconstruct Superman. We're going to take him down to his bare essence. Now, Jeff Johns came in for five minutes and gave them a tool for which to do that with the with the flare power, that is uh, not an unclever way to to rid Superman, uh, even if temporarily, of his superpowers using the basic logic that his his cells are are like solar cells and uh, the yellow sun powers him. And then if you give off too much of the heat vision. Uh, or I think they're basically using it as the heat vision. Now, if you try too hard or get too much blasted too hard, it comes out as this flare thing, which just empties your battery for a while and you have to recharge. All right. It's not a terrible way to do that. And I think they even implemented it fairly well on the Supergirl TV show. Uh, you know, it's really funny that the Supergirl TV show, TV show keeps doing things that the comics do, but I like it more on some of the TV shows. I know, they seem to be doing it better there. Now, maybe we're just, because we love this girl and this show so much, where I didn't like it when the, you know, the steroid-induced crew-cut monkey man, Superman, loses it. I'm thinking, oh, great, just just another way to take his powers away. But when Supergirl did it, it seemed like, and particularly because the anger and the way she just destroyed the red tornado that was a an incredibly emotional scene but you could feel that all of her power just left her body she gave it she left it as they say in sports she left it on the field it's like a bruce springsteen concert when he drops the mic at the end he left it out there there's nothing left and at that moment it was believable for her yeah go ahead john here's some thoughts Jeff Johns brought this super flare thing to the Superman title. It was not an original idea. No. It had been done in the Supergirl comics several times early. In the New 52. It's, just, it's being played on Superman right. in the New 52, yeah. Right. Um, Supergirl has lost control of her, um, the energy that's in her body and had an uncontrolled flare. Now, it did not have the same impact of causing her to lose her powers for a short while, although she is rather dazed after it happens. And she, you know, I think she blacked out once or twice when it happened and had to wake up later. But, um, but you have this thing that's going on in Supergirl, and we didn't really touch on the satellite characters in our discussion, but one of my difficulties with Supergirl is that you started off with this creator team that had a four-year plan of stories 
from the outset, and they got to tell a year and a half to two years of that plan. And I was very, very frustrated and sad whenever, whenever both of the mics had left the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were building this mystery around Supergirl's origins and what her dad had done to her. And so the, the nature of the flare was a mystery that I don't think ever really got resolved. Well, there so were a lot of there were a lot of parts that they gone, didn't resolve with her with Supergirl. They left a lot on the table with Supergirl. Yeah, and I, I'm kind of sad because for the first year, year and a half of the Super titles, Supergirl was my favorite. And after that, eventually it became Superman. Wonder Woman became mm-hmm. my favorite Superman title. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, actually, Supergirl was competing with Morrison's action. Those two are riding high. But anyways, so Superman now has a Super Flare that Jeff Johns is using. And looking back at the shape of the narrative, I have to think, or I have to suspect rather, that truth as instigated by the end of the Ulysses arc was the plan whenever Jeff Johns picked up Superman number 32. And if that's the case, then... When he decided to use the super flare on Superman, was it connected to super flares? Was it on the spot? Did he even know seven the super flares? I don't know. But I, I do want to ask these questions of somebody sometimes. So, hey, Jeff Johns, when you download this episode, I really want to do an interview. So call me, bud. <laughs> yeah. Well, here, here's the thing um, about the super flare. On face value, not taking the the idea that there was a larger plan at work. On face value, it seemed like the big idea for getting people interested in Superman was to give him a new superpower. Like, the end of that, the storyline that he wrote... Uh, which had some interesting themes to it. I don't know if he executed them as well as he could have, but it had some right. interesting themes. It's, it seemed like the whole point of that was we're going to give him this new superpower. And what that said to me was the people behind Superman think, okay, Superman's not selling. Well, what do we do? Well, do we do we work on the character? Do we work on no? Give him a new costume, which isn't a really a new costume, but we're going to call it a new costume and a new superpower. Da, 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 Superman. And if the idea was that it was supposed to lead into the truth storyline, then one, feel a little bit better about the truth storyline, even though I think it's wrongheaded. But two, it's the second time Jeff Johns has done this, where he starts this yeah, storyline and then it's like, see ya. See ya. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, Michael, it was the other way. <laughs> I think they look at it and say uh, that Superman is not selling or Superman is this is not working. Uh, we need to depower him. People don't like an all-powerful Superman. And that seems to be the running thread. Every time a new writer comes on, it's almost like DC says, we've got this great new writer coming on, and you can do everything. And How would you like to do? What do you want to do? Well, I want to take away his powers and get rid of that stupid secret identity. And can he make out with Lois for a little while? It just, again, I don't think there's any big time direction up there. And for some titles like Batman, it seems to be working. He's over there doing his own thing. Everybody's happy. 
And it even works when he mixes Batman into the Justice League because it's Batman. Superman is different in all three of these titles, uh, except for the two that Greg uh, Pak is writing. Uh, he's still writing Batman Superman, I think, and he's still writing action. Uh, but for I was like you, John, for probably six months or so there, my favorite Superman title was Superman Wonder Woman. I think we were getting some real character development over there. Bizarre and the doomsday stuff they were doing uh, yeah. in the Super Doom. Yeah, and I thought that you know was a decent storyline. I, I think it fell apart a little bit when we get <clears throat> and into this whole trying to figure out why Lois let Superman out and all the ramifications, and then uh, Diana interviewing all of Superman's personal friends. Uh, but it was not really an interview. It was an interrogation. Yeah, let's, where, let, let's be fair. It was an interview, Yeah, but only if in interviews you get to use sodium pentothal to get people to tell what you're really thinking. Exactly. So it's just, it, so, it's kind of, yeah, but gods of war have a habit of not really controlling themselves very well. Yeah, well, gods of war, yeah, she just, and didn't, the part, also, the she didn't see anything wrong with it. it yeah. Did, it, that didn't seem right to me that one that she would do this to his friends and, and coworkers without consulting. In fact, do it secretly behind his back to make sure he didn't know they were doing it and uh, not have realizing. You, have you been, uh, I, I was about to bait John. Yeah. Um, so please take what I'm saying as friendly poking. Uh, John, okay. cause I know how much you love the Brian Azzarello run on wonder woman. Um, I thought it was well done, but it was like an HBO series version of Wonder Woman, mm. where they get they get everything tonal, they get everything kind of right. But I don't like the tone of it. Mm. Uh, I read like the first three trades, so I think I gave it a pretty fair chance. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's a, that's a fair trick. Uh, yeah. Enough to say, okay, glad people like this. It's not the Wonder Woman I like. So technically, it is the Wonder Woman that we've been seeing who is far more pragmatic than previous iterations. True, of true. Less, um, emo- less emotional, more. Well, the emotion seems to be going into the let's duke it out side, as opposed to let's think it out. She's the God well, of and, War. And, she is the God of War. And the, the Finches, the Finches have been doing a lot of wrestling with Wonder Woman, you know, self-struggling with who she is and what's her identity as a, the god of war, B, the queen of the Amazon, and C, a superhero. And you might put a lowercase d in there, Superman's girlfriend, which, you know, I know that that's, that takes a turn in the story. Um, but so I think her doing things that are a bit out of character are kind of in character for her right now. It's yeah. In, yeah, exactly. You're both right there. It is in character for this iteration of of Wonder Woman. Uh, I think when she first, in her first book, I, I read the first, I don't know, I guess the first 30 issues. When the New 52 started, I was getting a lot of them. I hadn't done that for a long time where I was just buying a ton of new printed comic books every week. It was staggering because i wanted to give this thing a complete shot you know and then the title started falling away but i stayed with wonder woman for a long time primarily i think because of what's his uh, drawing chang is that the artist who drew those yeah. first was it chang cliff chang is that his name it's, for, it's chang, cliff chang. yeah that was drawing wonder woman and i thought 
everywhere Wonder Woman appears in any comic book, this guy should write her. And whoever's coloring her should do the coloring. Because they gave her almost a Native American skin tone. Kind of a reddish, dark reddish skin tone in those early Wonder Woman comics of the New 52. She was just gorgeous. She was just mm-hmm. absolutely. No, she needs to be white with big boobs. Oh, yeah. come on. That's why Gal Gadot is going to make a lousy Wonder Woman. A lousy Wonder Woman because she's Did Middle she... Eastern with small boobs. Yeah. You know why? Because she's not uh, Linda Carter. That's right. the main problem we yeah, have. Yeah, well. Cast Linda Carter in this film. Yeah, I don't and think Linda. And we haven't gotten like the mystics together to resurrect Christopher Reeve to play Superman yeah. again, because obviously that's the solution there. Too. And we need Adam West or Michael Keaton for Batman. But uh, you know, and speaking, I don't of, think Linda Carter would have went up to the stunt levels. I don't think so either. Even though she did a lot of her own stunts in the show, the stunts they're doing now. Uh, and especially since she's my age, Linda and I are within a few months of the same age. So she's almost 64 years old. She's not going to be doing those kinds of stunts that Gal Gadot is doing on, uh, in this upcoming Um, movie. Two things. One, sorry, I'm a linguist. It's Gadot. Is it Gadot? um, Is that how she pronounces it? Yeah, it's Gadot. She's, she's, she's Israeli and the OT is, 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 uh, is a plural. It's it's pronounced. But um, okay. I really want College Humor to call Linda Carter on the phone and get her to do a shoot where she is the new Wonder Woman. <laughs> After the Wonder Woman movie comes out and we see you know some some scenes and some things that she does, I want Linda Carter as the new Wonder Woman to 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 do. Yeah, no. I'm old and can't really do this anymore. This stuff. this is what you do. You get College Humor to get. Linda Carter, Michael Keaton, and Dean Cain. Oh, brilliant. Because I think Michael Keaton's at that point in his career that he would do it just as a gag. As a gag, because he's actually done some interviews about Batman recently. So uh, I think he wouldn't mind doing something as a gag and be funny. You know? And on that that thing uh, about Batman, uh, it's really pretty funny because, you know, you keep reading a lot now that people will say that the Batman 66 TV show was what ruined Batman turned him all campy and everything. Well, no, that show hit the air in 1966. Pick up a 1964 or five copy of Detective or Batman comics. That's what you got. They took that show from the comics. But the, 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 what I will counter that with for the sake of uh, be, playing devil's advocate is in the public perception of who Batman is until 1989. It was Adam West. Yes. And silliness. It's because people weren't reading comics. uh, This is the thing. And and this is, I think part of the thing that comics as a medium is struggling with right now is we're going through another significant paradigm shift of who is your audience. Mm-hmm. And we, because of the success of the Marvel films, and I'm going to single out the Marvel films because it seems like once after Iron Man, things really changed in terms of the greater, the, the muggles getting into the act basically uh, <laughs> to, to, to cross some streams here. Um, 
I think once those films started popping consistently, because, you know, when you when you go back to 2000, I mean, from 2000 to 2008, you had X-Men in 2000, uh, Smallville premiered in 2001, you had um, Spider-Man in 2002, oh my god, that was huge, uh, 2003, you had Daredevil, X2, and the Hulk, hmm. uh, 2004, Spider-Man 2. 2005, you had the Fantastic Four and another one that's escaping me right now. Uh, 2006, you had the third X-Men film and Superman Returns. Oh, 2005, you had Batman Begins. Duh. Mm, yeah. um, 2007, you had another Fantastic Four. Yes, you had another Fantastic Four film. Uh, 2008, Iron Man and Dark Knight. And after that, you know, it's 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 off to the races. So it's not like comic book films haven't been successful. It's just for whatever reason, what Marvel was able to do with its films brought in people from the outside. Tele- uh, television was able to bring people in from the outside. And suddenly DC and Marvel and, and, and all the other publishers, but DC comics is faced with this brand new audience and they have no idea what they want, you know, mm-hmm. because they're coming in because, hey, this looks exciting. What's in the comics? And, you know, we could we could get into the deeper issues of, you know, the fact that there's more female readers in comics now, though. I don't think that's a road we really want to go down because that's another like three hour conversation. Yeah. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that Dan DiDio and Jim Lee, as the publishers of DC Comics, are faced with the directive of selling books to an audience they don't quite understand because that audience really hasn't been around long enough for you to get what they want. And the fact of the matter is, and I'm not saying this, say that they're not real fans because I'm not that guy, but most of these people aren't going to stick around all that long. Right. And that's fine. You know, whatever. So, but that's how things go. But you're, so you're faced with, a mercurial audience base that has a limited shelf life. Plus you have to make happy the people that you brought in in 2011. Plus you want to try to please the people that have been with you for decades. And I think that's the funny thing is that in when they announced this whole new initiative, I think the people that came in with the new 52 might've felt a little like, well, well, Hey, but then I'm like, no, because they were never given anything consistent to begin with. So, yeah. so it's, it's like, you know, I don't envy these people. No, I, I don't envy know, them at all. But you know, some, I'd some like people, to have the job for a year. I think yes. a three year. I'd be like a base. I often think I could be a great baseball manager uh, for like three years. And if I didn't get to the World Series in three years, everybody would hate me. And I think the same thing for DC sometimes. I think give me the co-publisher job for three years and if i haven't doubled what superman's done without ruining the rest of the stuff then i'll go away and say okay your job is too hard but it's superman should not be being outsold by my little pony's funny book you know what i'm saying it shouldn't happen and he's not even in the top 20 anymore well here's the thing and, and, and I'll kind of throw this question out to you, uh, though I think you kind of answered it. Do you think we need new blood managerial-wise? 
Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> yes. And again, I do. if John Wilson says yes, then obviously the answer to the question. Yes, I do. Yes. And and this no, and here's here here's the reason why. Um, I think what you said earlier has some truth to it. The people who currently work for DC do not hate Superman. They don't. They don't hate him. But among the leadership of DC, there's not a lot of love for him mm-hmm. either. Right. And in fact, and I think they do think he's kind of silly. running your boat, maybe, maybe, maybe they do. Um, but if you have people running your ship who don't have an affection for the person who's ostensibly the flagship character, if the if, if if it were just done right, he would be the flagship character. Um, then then you need to have some change. And I I read a lot of Superman. I, I, I continue to read a lot of Superman, and I read a lot of other stuff that is published contemporarily with the issues in the era that I'm reading. One thing I have come to realize. Superman, my favorite character, is very often not the best thing on the stands in a given month. Right. There are often, a lot of times in history, there's other stuff that's going on around him that I enjoy more. And I don't know what that is, but I know that at this point right now, if people are not enjoying Superman, then something needs to change. Mm-hmm. And while the post-crisis era is not necessarily my era and my Superman. I think it's possibly the biggest and best the character has been and done since the fifties. You know, it's it's kind of funny you say that because um, Larry Ty wrote a really great book about Superman. Great book with a long title. Uh, with a yeah, with a, with a really long title. I uh, I wish I had read the book before Steve and I interviewed him because I had a couple questions after reading it about his uh, conclusions about the post crisis mm-hmm. era. Yeah, get him back and, on the show. And how uh, I, I I think you're editorializing a little too much. But anyways, that that's beside the point. Um, Superman, and and a lot of people may not realize this. Batman, um. Any character that's been around for over 75 years uh, and even over 50 years, you're going to have some deep valleys. You'll have some high peaks, but oh my God, you'll have some peak valleys, some deep valleys. Uh, Spider-Man under Lee and Ditko on fire. Ramita era on fire. You get into the 70s, eh, there's some problems there when Marv Wolfman and Len Wein and <laughs> them start writing the book. Um, and ostensibly, he is Marvel's flagship character. Uh, I, I think with Superman, though, that he is a character that is the first and therefore a big target, but he's also a character where he is going to have some ruts because he's just been around that long. You know, I love the post-crisis era. I don't know if anybody knows this, but I really like the post-crisis era. Wow. 
Interesting. Uh, you should do a podcast about it. Yeah, yeah I, sh- I really should. You really I should, should get a guy named Jeffrey to, to do yeah. that with me. Um, I'm going to be the first one to admit to you that when we get to 1996, I'm not going to be as high on it as I as I ha- have been, because I think that is where this pati- this particular creative staff, and I'll even I won't go because for a while there I, I kind of put 1992 in that era between Panic in the Sky and Doomsday in this, mm. but knowing now what I didn't know then in that they had to scrap so much of their story ideas because of, uh, you know, because you can't marry them in Superman number 75 or adventures 500, whichever it was supposed to be. Um, I think that's where that kind of creative lull and some of those stories where I wasn't as hot on, I think by 1996, that creative staff kind of ran out of steam. Hmm. Uh, and for the rest of the nineties, you see them trying to get it back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to be fair, those people were put under some constraints too, because after reign of the Superman, Superman had a big target on his chest and that was, you sold this much. Now you got to sell that again. How do you do that? Big storylines. Yeah. So, but I think the sad truth of Superman is he's this fantastic character that has probably in 75 years had 25 years total of really good stories. Yeah, I can kind of if go that, that. If I that, say I would that. say, yeah, I would go agree with John, if that. And I'm not saying that some of the stuff in the 70s isn't enjoyable, because I think there are some great Bronze Age stories. Mm-hmm. And I am not going to insult the Silver Age, because Bob Fisher will, <laughs> will here and beat the crap out of me. I, will, I um, know where you are. And John, if I insulted the golden age, you and Michael Bradley would like cut me. So, um, but but the truth of the matter is, is that when you have a character with that much product out there, it's, it's bound to happen. Think about it this way. Superman, if you added up, not the number of issues, which is into the thousands, thousands. Yes. The number of stories, that have been told thousands think, upon thousands. When you think of forties, fifties and sixties, there were at least three, most of the time, three stories per issue of Superman. And then usually he was, he had like one story in action and there was like, you know, a Legion backup or a Supergirl backup or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was in world's finest by himself mm-hmm. until the fifties. Um, and he was a comic strip and it's just like, I I can't even think of the sheer number of stories. I don't envy anybody that has to come to this character and go do something fresh. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, I think a lot of times we're not necessarily, you know, it doesn't have to be the freshest story. It could be a new modern take on an old story. If you're into decompressed, you know, one of the big differences, obviously, from the 40s, 50s, and even 60s, we get into the late 60s, and they're starting to have a story run. Uh, even the main story might take two or three. Virus X. Yeah, Virus X might take two or three uh, issues to solve. Whereas in the backstory of action, the Supergirl story was almost like a modern uh, 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 storytelling. It was an ongoing story arc 
that had, I mean, she might meet Dick Malvern in this episode, but for the next six months, it's going to be her on again, off again, boyfriend storytelling. There's going to be the, the long decompressed storytelling didn't start in the two thousands. So it's been around a while, but now everything is like that. Everything is a decompressed story. So fine, go back to one of these virus X stories, for example, that took two issues, um, back in 1967 or something do a modern take on that that takes you the the trade paperback number of issues you want to do you know what my favorite superman in the comics is right now right now in the comics in comic book form i think jms's earth one series is knocking it out of the park I haven't read. I, the, I haven't read the third thing. one yet. I've read the first two. I have. Be, I've got the third on the tablet. I haven't be, read it yet. Because here's the funny thing about that is on, on paper, if you look at my complaints about Man of Steel, I should have the same complaints about the first volume of Earth One. Yeah. And you know what? I have those complaints. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing: in the next two volumes, they developed the character further. In volume two he does something that has reverberations into volume three. Cool. And they have him in the costume with the trunks. Uh, Shane Davis did the first two volumes. Uh, Adrian Saif, I think that's how you pronounce that, uh, did volume three. And I am getting everything I want out of it, out of Superman from those in a modern take. Mm. You know, his girlfriend, I love her. Got an expiration date because <laughs> <Yeah>. this character, <laughs> but at the same time, you have Clark and he's at the Daily Planet and you have him interacting with Lois and that relationship is complicated and it's a new take on Jimmy Olsen. It's funny, and I can't think it, it can't be lost on DC that Supergirl is as popular as it is. The ratings on it have been consistently good. Totally caught them flat-footed, I think. Um, I'm going to say this, and this is going to be really snarky, but I'm kind of mad at some of the more annoying Batman fans. A Superman property is consistently beating a Batman property on a weekly basis. Every Monday night, you bet. And it, and, and I don't watch Gotham, so may, maybe I'm missing out on something. It's a really but, good show. I'm enjoying the hell out of it. But it's but I, totally I, I different. I do take a little visceral thrill in that Supergirl's doing better in the rings. Um, <laughs> so do I. Now, see, what I do is watch Supergirl live, and then uh, on Hulu, the following day, I watch Gotham. Well, to be fair, you can't do it the other way around, so... Exactly. So, I yell at CBS, but in a way, they're kind of saying, well, if you want our product, you got to come to our site to get it. So, okay. you can watch CBS.com. CBS.com. But you can't do that on my through my Wii. You can't do it through my uh, tablet yeah, and put it on uh, the that's big true. screen TV. I got to okay. sit at the computer so, to watch it. Yeah. Now, to be fair, I've got a pretty big monitor, so if I wanted to watch it, but I can't bring Rachel into here to watch it, and I like watching these shows with her. Exactly. So it's it's a minor complaint. Believe me, it's 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 one of the every week there is one thing that I complain about with the show. But everything else is so freaking good that it, it just doesn't bother me. But 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 get it, get it, getting back to the to the main point though is that it has been proven that there are ways to do this property 
while keeping the more traditional angles of it and have it be successful. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering where the cognitive dissonance is. I think that's a damn good question because this show, and it's so obvious that it caught them flat-footed because what was their first instinct after the ratings started catching on and they got renewed? DC says, gee, I guess we should put a Supergirl comic out. What are we going to do? Oh, we'll put a Melissa Benoist cover on the New 52 first run. And that was Uh, was a terrible idea. Uh, In the UK... They're reprinting the entire New Fifty Two series Ugh. in 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 like their through their news agents and stuff. So, Ugh. so he's, what's going to happen is young people, girls, other people who are loving this take on Supergirl are going to say, "Gee, is there a Supergirl comic?" Yeah, here you go, and they're going to get the New Fifty Two Supergirl. Now, to be fair, starting soon there is a biweekly digital first starting uh, in the summer of twenty sixteen. No, actually, I think it's starting before that. I hope. that the, first, the thing I saw was that they were starting in summer of 2016. The, the trade paperback isn't coming out till summer, because unlike uh, most of the other digital firsts, mm-hmm. they're not doing a printed comic at the end of the month. Oh, so the other digitals, uh, they would do two or three, and then the fourth week would be the paper, which mm-hmm. included the previous three weeks. So what they're doing is they're doing it digitally, and I'll be buying it. I will get it as well, yeah. On bi-weekly, and then in August, they'll put out a trade paperback of the first collection. Okay, are they going to be 99 cents, do you know? I have no idea. But Sterling Gates is writing it, so it's going to be good. What were you going to say, John? I was just a little bit of backtrack. Um, I was just thinking what we were saying about the... uh, Disconnect? Yeah, the dissonance and and how there are all these other versions of Superman and super characters that are that are resonating and 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 kicking and and you have these other continuities that are being done by 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 creators who really have a passion and want to tell a story about the character and we were saying earlier that there are a lot of patches in Superman's history and that is. If you, if you can have all these patches in Superman's history from creators and writers and artists who know Superman and love Superman and have a desire to see a good Superman story be told, if, if, if we can have all that happen with people who love Superman, then how much more likely is it to happen that we're going to have difficult stories with people who don't necessarily have a passion for the character? So... They, they should they should start from a point of strength, you know. You, you and, and like I said, this was a this is a thought that I had you know a bit back in the conversation. But um, people who love Supergirl and people who love things like Earth One and and, and that that know what Superman quote unquote should be. If we have those kinds of thoughts and feelings in the leadership of DC Comics, hiring people to write and draw the Superman character, then we're much more likely to have storylines that will showcase the strengths of the character and not just go for headlines. Because right now, everything with Superman is a headline because that's the only way they get people to write the, buy the books. Is if we can make this a headline, people will buy the book. And if there's one thing I've learned about the leadership at DC, 
they know how to take a long game and turn it into a bunch of intermediary headlines. So that you think, you think you're signing up for this story point when really they wanted you to be reading the books so they can do the next story point and then the one after that. And um, it's, a, it's, it's a weird way to sell comics. Well, I think also in the, in the past, and this is something that DC has done uh, several times in the last five, ten years, when they bring out a new version, they did it just last year for the Wonder Woman digital, they said, finally, the Wonder Woman comic you want to read. Well, that pretty much slaps in the face of the last four years of Wonder Woman comics that you've been publishing. And they consistently do that whenever they start a new story arc or somebody they want to promote, instead of just saying, hey, this is really great and look what we're doing over here. It's that whole, this is really great. It's much better than that other crap you've been reading, even though that other crap is stuff you've been publishing for the last five years. Their whole attitude in marketing just seems, I don't know, they just seem weird there. It just seems like DC, I, I don't know, from a marketing standpoint, it's just as un- inconsistent as the stories themselves. Uh, everything they want to do is, like you say, it's let's have a new headline, but the story, it doesn't need a headline or it doesn't go along with it or, you know, or I don't know, I'm just babbling again. But it it does boil down to the fact that the inconsistency has hurt Superman. And then when stuff like the Supergirl show comes on, And so many of us really get into this show and are really liking it. Now, there are the detractors. I've seen a lot of negative comments about it being too over the top or too, you know, geeky or too girly or this or that. (laughs) To which I say, shut your whore mouth. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I seem to just flat out, I hate the show. It's a terrible show. And I just, I don't know what these people are watching. (laughs) <laughs> yeah you know my wife asked me an interesting question we were watching uh after last week's supergirl well no it was after the red tornado uh uh episode she asked she said assume this show had the exact same actors all of the actors playing identical parts except it's more of an x-files it's like the deo supergirl is not super okara is not supergirl but she is uh her and her sister are members of the DEO fighting. Everything is exactly the same. Callista Flockhart, the media conglomerate, everything, except it's not Supergirl. Then I would say it was a sequel to Smallville. Would I still be watching that show is the question that she wanted to know. Would I still watch it when it's mainly about a female, mainly in her Mainly her supporting characters, except for James and Wynn, are female. All the main characters in this show uh, are female. Would I still be watching it if it wasn't Supergirl? My first thought was, eh, probably not. But then after I watched some of these shows again, and you go, well, there was no super stuff going on there for like the last 20 minutes. It was just her having a conversation with Cat uh, Grant or her having a problem with her sister or her with her mother. There was no super stuff. And I'm sitting here like a little puppy, but tears rolling down my eyes. And I'm like, yeah, I'd be watching the show if I had watched the beginning of it and got into it, even without the super girls. If there was some hook to get me there, then yes, yes. I would still watch because it. Because it was the super the girl that, that got me, me there. This, 
Rye. I'm watching this show. I started watching it. I, I you know, checked out the pilot months ahead of time because it's a Supergirl show. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and there are a lot of really quality sci-fi and paranormal and preternatural types of concepts out there that I never tuned in. Right. Even though I'm sure it'd be right up my alley because there was no hook that got me there. Right. I, I, I'm pretty sure that I would love Falling Skies. Mm-hmm. I will probably never watch it. <laughs> well, I'm kind of the same way on several of these shows that I should be just eating right up, but uh, I'm not. But I am a comic book guy. I love superhero comic books. So I'm watching Gotham. I'm watching Flash, Arrow. I'm watching all of them. Every one of except Agents of Shields. It's the only one I stopped watching after the first year uh, because I think where a lot of people, I don't know how many people, but many people, let's go that way, many people say they love what Marvel is doing by unifying in the same universe their TV and their movie properties. To me, that's going to hurt your TV show because now your TV show that's going to come out every week could go in all kinds of directions, but oh, wait. We can't use Cap this week to do this thing because he's going to do this other thing in the movie that comes out next summer. I love the fact that DC has the multiverse. I have no problem if this Supergirl show is in its own universe and the Superman and the, that they talk about has absolutely nothing to do with Tom Welling or Henry Cavill or any Superman we have ever seen anywhere else. I have no problem with that. It lets this show be its own show and its characters be its own characters. Now, because it's Berlanti and and company, I'm sure they are looking at down the road. How are they going to cross over Supergirl and Flash? Uh, It just seems too natural. Of course, they're going to figure out a way to do it eventually. We may even eventually see a Superman other than in shadow or, you know, with the light behind him. To me, that doesn't matter. It's Supergirl's show. I think they've handled the Superman part really well. Uh, Little glimpses here. We know he's the good guy. And they're letting us and our imagination and some of the baggage I may carry with me, it lets me fill in those areas of who is the Superman in this universe. Until they show us for sure who he is, we bring our own knowledge to who he is. And then when they say little things where she will say, uh, he's a nerd, Superman's a nerd, or little comments back and forth, it fits into the character we are building in our own brain. So, you know, please do not put Tom Welling in a suit and say he's this universe's Superman. One, he's not going to do it. I don't want to see that. His time is gone. Bye-bye, Tom. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They have developed a new universe here. Let's do that. Let's not have Henry Cavill or Tom Welling or anybody we've ever seen before. Let them do this story, this universe, this world. And uh, I'm just thrilled with it. Just make a minor point. I mean, I'm sure we were all happy when Laura Vandervoort showed up in Smallville. But none of us went into Smallville's first season, ninth episode, you know, less than nine episodes in saying, okay, this story needs Supergirl. Right. Yeah. So why do we feel the need to do the reverse? Because why do we feel the need to say this story (laughs) needs Superman? Right. Right. 
because why fans, is Supergirl enough? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you see, to me, that whole that that question right there, if you ask it of Supergirl, if you watch this show and the first question out of your mouth when Supergirl gets the crap kicked out of her for the first time is, well, why didn't Superman come in and save her? Well, then on Arrow or on Flash or on any other media that has a superhero, if you're reading a Flash comic and the trickster beats the crap out of him. Why the hell didn't Batman come in and help him? It's because it's a damn Flash comic book. Same goes for this show. Where is Superman? Who knows? This is Supergirl's show. He's not watching her 24-7. Even if he's in this universe, he's got his own life, his own world. They're bringing in the fringes, and I think using Jimmy Olsen as that bridge is a great character to do that with. Of his supporting cast... Jimmy Olsen's a great character to bridge that gap. He's the one you really can, I think, make the most changes in, even though it's upset a lot of people that he's not a redheaded, freckle-faced dork. Um, His character can be the one that can be changed the most. He's Superman's pal, you know? It can switch. I don't have a problem with the new grown-up James Olsen. So, uh, since it is getting late, let's do some final thoughts on... Uh, just a quick overview, an over final thought of um, the the new 52 and whatever they're calling it now. The DCU title didn't seem to last very long. I don't know if they're going to keep that or what, but the current Superman, the guy in the current Superman and action primarily, um, um, some final thoughts. John, let's start with you. Um, my overall thoughts, on the current Superman sort of parallel my, my, my overall thoughts on Man of Steel despite the fact that my emotional place on those are very different and that is that there are several issues that I have from a technical, structural um, physical creation of the story standpoint but I'm enjoying the story I, I like what's going on. I, I pick up the story. I feel like this is a character who is doing the kinds of things that Superman would do if these kinds of things happened to Superman. Um, so I, I, I enjoy the story from that standpoint. Um, would I like to see some more consistency in the long-term from Superman titles, yes, I would. And like I said earlier, based on the you know little bit that I've read, it looks like they finally got to that point with issue 41. I wish we hadn't taken 40 issues to get there. Right. Uh, costume, briefly. Does it bother you, or do you have any care whatsoever whether he's in the jeans and T-shirt, the New 52 costume, or the John Romita Jr. New 52 costume? Does the costume matter as long as it's the S with the red cape? I was always a fan of the New 52 design. Um, I thought it was sleek. I thought it was cool. I thought the story behind it was pretty neat. I thought his T-shirt and jeans uh, were a nice, fun starting place for him when he was when he was sort of still booting up mm-hmm. to, to, you know, use a term from nowhere. Um, I think it fits rather nicely that he has returned to that look now that he has powered down a bit. Um, it, it, it fits, it, it bookcases 
kind of nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, bookends, rather, the the overall story we've had so far from Superman. Interesting. But that's me. Okay. Uh, Michael? I just want to look forward to the books again. Um, <laughs> you know, I've, I've gone on and on over the past couple of hours of, of all the problems that I have and the things that I've liked and disliked. I just... I just want to be excited to read the next issue of Action Comics or Superman. Uh, I I don't particularly care for the new 52 outfit these days. And I'm not talking the jeans and t-shirt. I'm talking the other one. Right. On the other hand, I think in the right artistic hands, it looks pretty good. Um, and I will take that over the jeans and the t-shirt I get are just part of the storyline. So it's not, I don't think it's a, a statement that this is how Superman should look. Um, I, I, I think it's a stunt just like the blue outfit was a stunt, um, to kind of get a story going and, and to, to, to create the illusion of change while not really changing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be, I'm looking forward to issue 50, uh, mainly because, you know, he's, you know, we're kind of coming to the end of the storyline but also because he's going to be meeting the pre-Flashpoint Superman. That's going to be kind of interesting to see. Uh, I think that DC needs to get their act together when it comes to Superman. Uh, how they do that is up to them. If it means a regime change, it means a regime change. If it means getting people onto the books, like John was saying, that have a that are coming from a position of liking the character, then maybe that's what they need to do. Um and they need to stop chasing headlines because here's the thing. You build a better mousetrap, the world will beat a path to your door. If you put together a, you know, Batman by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo was not a headline-inducing change. But they managed to come to this character, find a middle ground, and produce some amazing Batman stories. And now everybody likes the title. So I think they need to stop looking at Superman as a problem to be solved and start looking at him as a character to tell stories about. Bingo. That, that was a great way right there to put it, because I think you're absolutely right. They need one, get people in charge who like the character and want to see the best for the character. That doesn't mean that you got to fire Didio and Lee, but that means Lee and Didio have got to get somebody in editorial or in the creative staff themselves that want to do special things with this character. I, I, I have to give the new 52 overall since 2011, a C it's average at best, but there's just been too many valleys. There's been too many, who is this? Why am I still reading this? Um, so, who knows? But uh, uh, any other words, guys? No, I'm, I pretty much, I think, said everything I want to say. <laughs> I think we did it. I think we did I it. I could continue talking for hours, but it's late. We should probably go ahead and wrap it up. Well, thank you for the invite. I really enjoyed being able to get here and talk about it. And, and I really enjoyed the impetus to read some more news. Man, I'm going to continue catching up on new superman oh, as good. i need some x-men for some other stuff that i'm doing okay but good but you're going to get um, back good. into this and good that's what i was hoping for and john where can they find you what are you putting out now podcast wise um i currently am the um number two guy over at avengers inspirations the 
podcast that my daughter leads. Actually, that's an inside joke. Um, <laughs> she's she's a teenage daughter. We you know she so of course she's the one in charge. She is she is she is thirteen years old. So uh, she yeah big enough to not consider herself little anymore. Um, but yeah, that is a Marvel Cinematic Universe and Silver Age Marvel podcast that you can be found at the Complete Marvel Reading Order website or the Complete Marvel Reading Order podcast feed on iTunes. So just do Google searches for those and you'll find us. Um, that's a show that's had a bit of a body production tool, but I am back in the saddle getting shows edited and out there and, um, enjoying that wonderful well it's a great combination you and lily are just terrific together i love that show and i'm not a marvel guy so you know but i can't wait for those shows to come out you guys it's some good symbiosis there you're a good dad john oh thanks (laughs) mike where can they find you oh good lord um (laughs) fortress of baileytude.com uh, would be a, a good place to start. There you can find my Superman musings also. It's the kind of the home base these days for From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which I um, host with Jeffrey Taylor. When are, uh, you guys getting to, when are you guys getting to the Electric Blue stuff? How far away are you from that? <sighs> We're about two years. Two years? Okay, I'm going to take two it Two years comic book-wise, probably about a year or so if we keep consistent Your uh, podcast time. All right, I'm going to take it so, off my pap. I put it on the uh, tablet. I was going to reread those because I literally have not read those since they came out. And they catch so much crap. And I just wanted to reread them, you know, now with modern, you know, sensibilities to see if they still really were crap. Or I have a feeling they're, they're a lot better than I remember them being. Because I still think regardless of the power change, that was still Superman and Lois. And uh, also viewsfromthelongbox.com where you can find my podcast Views from the Longbox uh, where I talk about comics and all kinds of stuff like that. So, You guys, anytime you want to talk Superman apart from your own show, anytime you just want to – got something you want to say, let me know. My listener would love to hear from you. Oh, <laughs> so, one. Yeah. So, well, one is the loneliest number that I ever knew. Though rumor on the street is, is that two can be as bad as one, and that it is the loneliest number since the number one. And you're too young to even know that. <laughs> I like surprising people. <laughs> Superman is based on the original character appearing in Superman magazine. Superman is copyright DC Comics. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. The Superman Forever radio podcast is a proud member of the Superman homepage podcast network. <laughs>